comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to The Black Box. Welcome back to The Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This week's episode is a big old Thanksgiving treat. First part of the episode, I interview Tribe One as he's just completed his uh, tour with MC Chris, like 50, 50 plus dates in 60 days or something to that extent. He talks about the rap tour life, and we also review a classic 1990s hip-hop record that I'm sure most of you most of y'all are familiar with, and if you're not, you're going to become familiar with it. And then... Myself, along with artist Tony Fleece and artist Julian Lytle, we discussed Jay-Z's Magna Carta Holy Grail, and then we talk about some other music stuff. It's a really great episode. I really hope y'all enjoyed it. I had a great time putting this together. really brought a smile to my face. There will be more episodes soon. Now, be on the lookout in December for probably one, maybe two episodes of The Black Box, but you will also have the return of Tales from the Attic. Uh, Donnie Salvo is returning with the Christmas Craptacular. He's back again for another round of Christmas-themed comics, um, bringing the comedy the only way Donnie Salvo knows how. Be on the lookout for that. Those will post in December, like I said, with probably one or two more Black Box episodes if time allows me to do so. Well, listen, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give a couple shout outs and thanks. I wanted to give a shout out to a gentleman that um, I ran into at the Baltimore Comic Con uh, um, earlier this year. He stopped by the um, the Action Lab booth and he said that he listens to the Black Box podcast and he really enjoys it. Gentleman's name, and I hope I, I hope I got your name right, it's Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It means a lot to me. I do appreciate it, as do all the listeners that listen to this podcast and still listen to it. I do appreciate it. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Gary Arkell. He sent me a piece of 1990s goodness. He sent me a Street Sharks candy dispenser. And it is, as they say, quite jawsome. So thank you, Gary. It's it's really cool, man. This is uh, really cool. I got it up by I got it on my computer desk as I talk into this mic right now. And a special, special shout out and thank you to uh, listener Dennis Pooh. Uh, Dennis sent me a surprise uh, via uh, an Amazon wish list. I come home the other day and I was trying to put together the podcast and I see uh, the UPS person drop off some, you know, drop off this box. I'm like, what is this? And it's an Amazon box. And inside it had a classic collection, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Raphael, and a Lego Star Wars set uh, featuring the desert skiff scene from Return of the Jedi. So it comes with a Lando and a Boba Fett, and a Luke Skywalker, and another character whose name I cannot pronounce. And it is really cool. So, Dennis, um, sincere thank you and gratitude. I, I, I appreciate all this stuff. Um, you know, really means a lot to me. Uh, thank you all once again for listening to the podcast, for staying and continuing to listen to the show. And, you know, we will continue to put out content the best we can, as much as we humanly possibly can. So thank you for always being there for us. But enough of my yapping. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. 
And now, our feature presentation. Last time this gentleman was on the podcast, I think we were talking about the complexity of the album Yeezus from Kanye West. Mm. And uh, during that recording, uh, the gentleman that's currently on the line right now was also talking about how he was making the step from walking away from his full time job to doing music uh, full time, you know, uh, you know, in the in the realm of hip hop and whatnot. And he was going on tour uh, for like just like a massive run um, with a gentleman by the name of MC Chris. Um, you've heard this gentleman on the podcast many times before. He is still the Animated Gangster. Ladies and gentlemen, Tribe One. Tribe, how you doing, sir? I am doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me back on the show, Sean. Oh, hey, you're welcome, man. I, I've been, you know, I've been wanting to do this, you know, now that the uh, tour is over, because I think that was like episode 99, which it's funny because oh, like man. the way podcast, like the way like the podcast, the podcast works for me, like I basically nowadays edit episodes when I can and then I put them out. And we taped that Yeezus episode mm-hmm. like a couple, like I could say about a week or two. No, I think it was like a week a week or two after the album dropped and then I didn't post it I think until like a month a month or two later and so I think literally when that episode posted I think you were about to start your tour I think I can't remember or you were either in the middle of your tour or you just started your tour <laughs> and um and like I think I've posted like two more epi- two more black box episodes since and now the tour is over so like all this time has passed by and like and um and I'm just real curious um, you know, just to find out, I'm sure like, you know, the listeners are curious to know what kind of experience you had on, it was like 51 dates or how many dates was it? Yeah. The tour was 51 dates, 51 shows, uh, spread out over 59 days. And then on either end of it, like I, I did a show in Virginia, uh, on the way up there. And then I did a show in Baltimore on the way back. So for me, it was 53 shows in like 61 days. Mm. It was the most work I've ever done for anything in my entire life. You're in a situation where when you're on tour, I think like some people probably get it twisted. They think that it's all party, party, party. Everything's basically on the house and everything's good. But it's not always like that. I mean, yeah, this is this for you. This is like a big deal. This is a this is a major. Yeah, this is it's yeah, this is, um, you know, it's in the nerdcore scene. This is like the MC Chris tour is literally the like it's the make or break thing. Like if you if you are asked to do this, you literally drop everything and do it because it does not get bigger than the MC Chris tour. Right. Right. And in doing so. But still, in doing so, people sometimes get it twisted because they think this is a big tour, this is a big deal, mm-hmm. that everything is just a high life. And when in actuality, it's it's not it's not really that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 totally. And because like let's like say for instance, break down um, travel. You know, like you're not on a tour bus, all right? This this isn't like the yeah. new edition reunion tour. You're not on yeah. <laughs> you're not on a tour bus. You know, like tell people it's like as far as like those 59 days. Like, basically, how you had to travel those 59 days. 
Yeah. So actually, one of the most frequent questions I got on the road was, oh, man, so what is it like traveling on a bus with MC Chris and everyone else? And I would have to tell them, oh, there's no bus. There's no there's no glitz. There's no glamour in this. I'm in my my tiny four door Honda accent Hyundai. I'm not even a Honda. I don't <laughs> not even rolling that glamorous. I have a Hyundai accent. Which is one of the smallest cars on the market. Mm. I think maybe Mini Cooper is the only thing smaller. Um, no, smart car. Yeah, smart car. Okay, there we go. So there's two. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was. It was me and Jesse Dangerously, and uh, all of our merch packed into my tiny car for two months on the road. I, I think it was something like fifteen thousand miles. I put on my car total. Um. You know, if we couldn't fit something in the in the car, we had to mail it ahead to pick it up later, and hopefully we would be out of merch by the time we got to it. So, you know, there would be room in the car. And, uh, yeah, no, no beds built into the thing. Like, we were looking for places to sleep every single night. Mm. I had to get up on that Hotwire game, like, hardcore. <laughs> Man, man, like I I will go to war for Hotwire. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, app on my phone saved my sanity so many nights. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say this too. Extended Stay America is the nicest, like cheap hotel that you can get. It's like a studio apartment, and people like people don't think of it in the same way that you think of like a Motel Six mm-hmm. or a Super Eight. So they're on the same level price-wise, yes. at least through Hotwire. Okay. I'm not trying to mess with them, you know, without without the discount. Right. You get a stove, you get a fridge, like you get a a kitchen sink. It's like having a little apartment for a night. It's awesome. When you're on the road, you don't think of things like that as being the nicest thing that you'll see for right. a week. Um, before years years ago, I used to be a consultant. I was a mm-hmm. I was IT mm-hmm. consultant, so I had to travel all the time. Now, now, granted, like you know, the company paid for the travel, but mm-hmm. there would be times depending on where you were were sent to. Some states and some cities, you know, sometimes you couldn't get like a nice hotel. You know what I'm saying? Like you okay. know, and like even even like on the low bar, like Motel Six is like low, like that's low brow. Okay? Oh yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That's desperation. That's like, look, I'm bringing my suitcase in, but I'm not going to open my suitcase. Yeah, no. And, and like, you know what? I'm going to go to the store and go buy sheets just to put over top of the bed <laughs> so I can lay down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, like, I like, you compare Days In to Motel 6, day, Days In becomes like Hilton. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, is like five stars. Yeah. But, um, but still, but there were times where, um, depending on where we were located, we had uh, those types of extended stay type type joints, and we got good deals on them, so we would stay there. And yeah, it's nice. Like you get, like you said, uh, get a stove, refrigerator. Yeah, you know, you got a t, you know, you got a living room, you got a TV in the living room. Then you got like you got first off, you got a living room. Yeah, exactly. What is that about? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You got a you got a living room with a couch that folds out into a bed, depending on which one you stay in, and then yeah. you got a bedroom. Yes. With a TV in it too, and I'm like, wait a minute, should I have on both TVs at the same time? Just, just fuck it. Of course you should. <laughs> yes, I'm like, fuck it. You know, I mean, yes. do it. You know, so, <laughs> I mean, like, and you get all excited because you know it's it's shit that you have at home. You know, you, you know, feel like you have that at home, but 
you just get so excited on the road with it because it's like you don't see it every day. You don't see it any day. Now, even with all that travel, can you tell me some of the experiences on being on that tour? First of all, it's it's the most it's the most fun I've ever had, like compacted into like a short, defined period of time. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of some stories because there are amazing stories. Like there was the time uh, he's going to be mad at me for telling this story, but <laughs> in uh, in Alabama, Jesse Dangerously, who is a militant pacifist, if you can wrap your head around that, <laughs> he threatened to kill a man and was not joking. Oh, like <laughs> he actually he got so mad that. Okay, so here's the story. There's like everywhere that we went to, everywhere that we played was a bar, basically. So Mm -hmm. a lot of nights we were playing for a lot of really drunk people by the end of the night. Yes. And so like all three of the openers and MC Chris, like not to not to sound bragful. That's not a word not to sound, you know, immodest, but we're really, really good performers. And so every night we would get people coming up to us at the end of the night like, oh my gosh, you guys were so good. Like, I really enjoyed myself. I had a great time. Thank you so much. And, you know, we, this is, it's our pleasure to get to, to get to do this. So it was always a thing of like, thank you so much for coming. And it was sincere because like, I I would say it on stage, like we literally could not do it if the people didn't show up. And so it means so much to us that people come out to these things. Mm. But in Birmingham, Alabama, there was a gentleman who came to the merch table at the end of the night and came to Dr. Awkward, who was the uh, the other opener besides myself, Jesse, uh, myself and Jesse. Uh, he came and he told Dr. Awkward that he was amazing because he was. And he came to me and he told me that I was amazing because I was. <laughs> and then he went to Jesse and goes, you were good. Not as good as these guys. Oh, no. You got, you got some work to do. But you were good. And so Jesse is amazing. And if you haven't heard his music, he's the best technical rapper I've ever heard in my entire life. His songwriting is incredible. Uh, he's an amazing singer. He's, he's amazing. Um, and so, and he, and he knows this because he should. And so Jesse goes, I know I'm good. You don't have to tell me because obviously... His comment sort of rubbed him the wrong way. Mm. But this guy wouldn't let it go. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He goes, no, like, you know, if you want some pointers, I'd be happy to give them to you. Like, I'll tell you why you weren't as good. And so Jesse, you know, is like, have a good night, man. Just trying to, trying to, you know, take the high road, not not engage this asshole yeah. who, you know, maybe had too much enjoyment of the evening. And so on the way out, the guy uh, makes another comment along the same lines. And Jesse at this point has just had it. So he goes, he points at the guy as he's walking out the door because the guy has like done that halfway out the door thing where he's like leaned back to make a last ridiculous statement. Oh, no. Yeah. And Jesse points at him with two fingers, like he's made a gun with his hand. And he goes, I'll fucking kill you. 
have a good night. And then turns back and like starts packing up his merch. And so me and Dr. Awkward are like, we look at each other, we do that like double take thing to each other. Mm-hmm. And then we look at Jesse and then we look back at each other and we just like, you've never heard laughter so loud in your entire life. <laughs> and Jesse is acting like nothing happened. And it turns out he was so angry that he actually blacked out and he didn't remember saying that at all. Mm-mm-mm. Only in the South. Yeah, yeah. Only in the South. Because this dude legitimately thought he was helping. You know, it's it's one of those things where if you went to a comedy club, and regardless of whether the comedian was good, great, or bad, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not stepping to a comedian to say, yo, man, your shit was whack. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, yeah, I understand. I paid, look, I paid my money. I, you know, I, no, no, I paid my money to like see y'all you know to to, to be entertained mm-hmm. but sometimes it's, and like sometimes like it's going to be hit or miss depending on my taste and exactly. depending on how i felt that day you know what i'm saying like there's so many factors that come into play you know and it's not like like jesse was being an asshole to the crowd now see like say for instance if, if somebody was being an asshole to the crowd then yeah and i'm like you know what man yeah your shit was kind of whack today because yeah, you, want, you know you, you know go ahead go ahead if if part of your character is being an antagonist you can you can absolutely expect you know people to react to you a certain way and you i mean hopefully you'll pre- you're prepared for that because mm-hmm. yeah. that's part of your character as a performer but i can i can easily say without any reservations that none of us were were that guy right so it was very strange very strange stuff like this is always subjective you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You it's, know, not everything is for everybody. Right, right. It's art. Art is always sub- it's always something that um that is going to be seen differently by different people. And yeah, sometimes people see, you know see things eye to eye and sometimes people don't. But it's when, you know, people take it too far that just makes it bad for for you know for everyone. Like kind of you know kind of like that's just like the way it is with the internet. Um, you know, like don't read the comments. That's all, that Yeah, know, yeah, exactly. You know, never read never read the comments, <laughs> but um but you know, that's, that's that's unfortunate. It's funny, but I mean, you can laugh at it now, but still it's unfortunate yeah. because nobody should have to go through that. No, no. In the moment, it is the exact opposite of funny or enjoyable. Yes. Now, now. Yeah. Besides that highlight, besides that highlight, <laughs> um, what other like you know great moments did you have on tour? Man, you know what? I love so many. I'm not even going to say that I love every city because there are some cities in this country that are shitholes, and there's nothing that you should ever go there for. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to name any names of cities, but I will say that my favorite cities in this country are Chicago, um, Seattle. We didn't even get to sleep. Like, we slept in the car in Seattle. For some reason, when we were there, there was not a single hotel available anywhere in the state of Washington. We ended up sleeping in a hotel parking lot in the car for a half hour before going to a laundromat where I just threw in a load of laundry and slept for, like, five hours on the the couch in the laundromat. What? Yeah, it was weird. It was crazy, man. There was not a single room available anywhere. Wait, but first off, first off, in these 59 days, were you like cuz you're based in the south, you're based in Georgia. Yeah. Um your car, your your Hyundai accent. Yeah. <laughs> made it all the way up to up to Seattle. 
Yeah, man, we hit all four corners of the continent. I really hope you gave your car a nice thank you when this was all said and done. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know. No. She's, she's got a, she's had an oil change <laughs> since I've been back. <laughs> I, you know, I haven't washed my car since I've been back. I've been meaning to get on that. You know what you need to do? First off, you need to like write Hyundai an email <laughs> and tell, and tell them of your adventure and how your Hyundai accent, what year is it again? What, what year is it Hyundai? It's a, a 2008. Tell them that your 2008 Hyundai accent hit all four corners of the United States and survived. Yeah, I'm you, still driving it to this you day. You will get a commercial. <laughs> you will you know, and you will get endorsement. Hell, you might even get another Hyundai accent for free. Oh man, you know what? I'm going to write this down because that's a thing that's going to happen when I'm, we get off of this conversation. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm being dead serious. You need to write them and be like, listen, let me tell you something about this car. Let me tell you, everybody jokes about the Hyundai accent, but I'm going to tell you first and foremost, I had an incredible journey. This is what I do for a living. I went on tour. I hit all four corners of the world and I made it up to Seattle, Washington, and they had no hotel. So I slept in my car and it was warm. And then I got back home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for real. I'm, I'm for real now. Yeah, you said incredible journey. I was thinking Milo and Otis. Yo, oh, that's my joint though. <laughs> Don't look, man. Look, I was I was a teenager when Milo and Otis dropped, but still, like, because like, wasn't that narrated by Dudley Moore? Was it? I think it. You know what? I'm about to look it up right now. See, because wow. you don't you don't got me hype. You don't got me hype right now. Hold on, Milo. And that might Otis. be the first time the words Milo and Otis and hype have appeared in the same <laughs> sentence in history. Yes. Hey, man. I, look, I, look. Let's see what year it came out. In uh, it came out '89 in the states. Um, it came out. I didn't 89. realize it was that old. Yes, I was like 14. Yeah, no, I was 13 when it dropped, but I, I mean, I saw like I think in like in '90 on HBO. Mm -hmm. But check this out. This I didn't know. We're both about to learn something right now. <laughs> the Adventures of Milo and Otis is a 1986 Japanese adventure drama film about two about two animals. Uh, let's see, uh, Milo, an orange tabby cat, and Otis, a fawn pug. And hold on one second. Okay. The original Japanese version was released on June 27th, 1986, and the reworked English version was released on June, I mean, on August 25th, 1989. Um, let's see here. Initially filmed as Kaneko Monogatari um, in Japan, the film was completely revamped, trimmed, and westernized with added narration by Dudley Moore. Wow. And it says here, the Japanese version, um, director, hold on one second, because I don't like want to jack up this name, director <laughs> uh, Mazanori Hata and associate director Kan Ichikawa edited the film from 400,000 feet of footage, which is roughly 40.3 hours shot over a period of four years. So God, from damn. 80, so from 82 to 86, they was like, yo, throw this cat and dog out in the woods. <laughs> What, what we got here? Are they, are they fucking with a bear? Okay, yeah, go ahead and film that real quick. They still living? Okay, go get them. Come on, let's go, let's go. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. So, like, when that came on HBO, I think I was 15, and one day I just, like, was just sitting down, and I was like, why am I watching it? And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I just couldn't. It was kind of like like the reinvention of the fox and the hound, and I was like, I, was like, I fucks with Milo and Otis. <laughs> 
Again, sentences that have never been said in history. Yo, that needs to be a t-shirt. That needs to be a t-shirt. I fucks with Milo and Otis. Yes. <laughs> up, you know, a thousand put, thugs are listening to this podcast in a single tear. They're streaming down their eyes. Yo, right that's now. like the equivalent of like them thugs listening to <laughs> Ghostface Killers. All that I got is you. Yes. And like the hardest thugs and street cats was crying when that song would come on. You heard it here first. Milo and Otis is the movie equivalent to Ghostface Killer. <laughs> yes, that all all I got is you track. That is the equivalent. You know, so when that comes on, I need somebody now to make a montage of Milo and Otis clips with Ghostface Killers. All I got is you. Yes, please. Like, I'm not even joking. I <laughs> I want to see that. So if somebody is listening to this and is so moved by our words, by our love of Milo and Otis. Please, please make that happen. I fucks with Milo and Otis. Son, so. <laughs> <laughs> during during the tour. Were there any moments where you were dealing with the audience in a state of trying to make them understand what, like, you know, nerdcore hip hop is? You know, fortunately, I didn't have to do that too much because, you know, most of the people who were there, like, are MC Chris fans, who is, like, already, like, he's a nerdcore artist. He's one of the first nerdcore artists. And so people who who were at the shows usually were familiar with the genre at at some level there was like i think for the the three of us openers it was more a thing of having to introduce non-nerdcore hip-hop to them all well for me me and jesse specifically um have like just straight up hip-hop backgrounds Mm -hmm. um and dr awkward is more like he's a younger cat so you know he doesn't have that like 90s hip-hop background um you know we we talked a lot about music he's he's more into like edm and he's he's actually an incredible singer so mm-hmm. he's a you know more into r&b and stuff like that but me and jesse have like jesse actually is a scholar of hip-hop he's like one of the most knowledgeable people i've ever met and so for for us like i used to start my set about halfway through i decided i was going to start my set by saying, if I want to see by show of hands, if anyone here tonight does not believe, anyone does not believe that I'm fucking incredible at rapping. And there was always, invariably, there was one person who thought it would be funny to raise their hand and I would dedicate the show to them and I would check back with them periodically. <laughs> and, you know, and the, the, first, the first thing I did was like not nerd based at all it was just me rapping my ass off as well as i could it it worked on some people and then others it didn't but i had other stuff in the set that hopefully would catch everybody by the time it got to it so that's that's the first time i've had that problem you know okay of of having to introduce like hip-hop and I i was the cold opener so i was the the first thing that happened in the night oh damn okay okay See, that was the other thing I was going to ask you. Like, you know, I was going to ask you that. How many times did you have to cold open? But you you were consistently the cold opener? 
there was, I think, two times that we switched. The first time we did it, I actually don't remember which city it was in. Um, but Chris at one point told us, like, hey, you know, if you guys want to play around with the the order, feel free. Um, you know, don't can you know don't think anything is set in stone. And uh, so one night we just decided, like, you know, I would go third. Dr. Awkward would go first and Jesse would go second. As normally it was me, Jesse, Dr. Awkward, Chris. So me and me and Dr. Awkward switched places basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cool. I, I don't remember which city that was in, but when we got to Atlanta, we did it again just because it's my hometown. And nice. You know, wanted to. They, we thought it would be cool for me to go on later in the evening. And that was, man, that was one of my favorite shows. Just being being home, knowing I was going to get to sleep in my bed at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say so. Yes. Were, was there anything that you learned while doing this tour? Were there things that you picked up while being on this tour that you can take with you, you know, for future business or for future touring or for future music? Yes, absolutely. Um, always have a plan. Actually, one thing I learned on... Because I I was a part of the MC Chris tour two years ago, not officially, but I you know I backed up Adam Warrock uh, when he was the the cold opener. Okay. And one of the things I learned on that tour was absolutely sometimes you have to spend a little extra money to maintain your sanity, like go to a restaurant with metal silverware (laughs) (laughs) yes like sit down and have your food brought to you don't uh don't always settle for having food shoved at you out of a window you're better you're better you're gonna be a better person for it in the long run yes because it forces you to sit down and and like kind of like not meditate but just kind of relax a little bit you know what i'm saying exactly you know, and you actually, know? And, and try at least to enjoy the moment. Exactly. You know, because you know it's a it's a longer diving experience, and it will force you to come to terms with some things mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily have time to. Um, you know, when you're always on the go. I learned that I should not seek out comic shops in every single city that I visit because I don't have what's known as self control. Oh no. So I spent entirely too much money, and my basement is evidence of that. There are piles of comic books and like graphic novels that I just have no place to put. Dude, you know what? You should <coughs> y'all should have came. Y'all should have came through Lexington. You could have came. You could have came to my house, and I would have just sold stuff from my basement <laughs> to you at a discounted price, and I would have held it for you and then shipped it to you. So then you wouldn't have to worry about nothing. You'd be like, look, I'm not coming on till this day. I'm like, all right, cool. I already got it all boxed up and I'll ship it to you that day at a discounted price. Man, that's you know? dangerous. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. You know what I'm saying? Yo, like, hey, I still got that dragon dagger in the box. Never open, son. Never Yo, open. Speaking of Kentucky, Louisville is amazing. That was like one of my top three favorite shows of the tour. Oh. Louisville comes to party yo louisville can be the jump off when it wants to be for real <laughs> seriously yeah. no i'm not playing I, i'm not yeah. playing look i live in look i'm in lexington okay so i'm like about an hour about an hour out from an hour hour 20 minutes out from louisville mm-hmm. so done a couple of shows down there a couple of comic conventions and like there's plenty to do in, in louisville okay plenty mm. it is a great place 
You know what I'm saying? It's a great, to me, it's a great place to go have fun. Um, yeah. I don't know about living down there because I ain't never, you know, like I said, I haven't been there en- enough times to say, yo, it's a great place to live. But to party, yeah, it's a great spot. Hmm. Like, um, I think like once a year, once every other year, they'll do like these summer concerts or like uh, they'll do summer concerts and they'll bring like old school and new school acts to be downtown. Word. And um, like I think like uh, they had like I think they did an R and B thing this year, and they had like Jody. They brought out brought out Jody Watley and oh, like God. a bunch of like old school cats. And I was just like, well, damn it! Hmm. Everybody was there. They was like, this is great shit ever. And I was like, y'all came to party like that? They was like, yep. I was like, okay, all right. I ain't mad. Yeah. I ain't mad. Ooh. Yeah, Louisville goes hard, man. Uh, now, now, where did y'all um, where did y'all perform in Louisville? Oh man, I can't remember the name of the venue. I just remember that upstairs there was a bowling alley. Oh shit, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so all night we kept hearing people getting strikes and, and knocking down pins. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time down there. I wish we could have got you to Lexington. Um, yeah, man. You know, you going? I'm afraid we're going to have to like. We got. I mean, we got. We got some spots here. We. I, I think. I think we could. We could sport. Yeah. We could sport a tribe one show. Hey. I would love that, and 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 at least if if Jesse dangerously came out, we would make sure nobody would come up to him and be like, <laughs> yeah, try to give him pointers and shit. You know what I'm saying? I can't yeah, have him black so out. So mad at me for telling that story. I can't have him. Look, man, I can't have him black out and have like a '90s Bobby Brown moment and like and like you know hurt somebody by man Jesse in jail. Man, I'm talking. He is like a milit. Like he is a hardcore pacifist. <laughs> But he was li- like he was literally going to end this man's life. Hmm. <laughs> we have all been there. Believe you me. Are you familiar? Uh, this is completely tangent. Are you familiar with the group Cunning Linguists? Have we talked about them? We have talked about them. Like, okay. yes. Yeah. They're, they're all originally from Lexington, and one of the members is still there. No, the, the producer just moved out to L.A. because he was in Atlanta, and Deacon is still in Atlanta. Um. But I remember, like, when I, I was posting on Twitter and stuff, uh, you know, holy crap, Kentucky parties. Like, Kentucky goes hard. And Deacon was like, yeah, Kentucky's where it's at, man. Yeah, man. Hey, uh, I, it's – it's. Oh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. That was, that was the gist of it. But um, I was then going to ask if there's a coffee shop, and I, I wish I knew the name of it, but uh, Deacon produced and rapped on an album – with a guy named Shiesty Christ, who either owns, co-owns, manages some combination of those three, uh, a coffee shop in Lexington. Um, and, and it's like a local spot. It's not like a Starbucks chain or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But if you ever go into a coffee shop and you see like a Zen, a Zen dude with the longest dreadlocks you've ever seen. Yes. Like ask him if he is Shiesty Christ. And if he is, he's one of the illest MCs that you've ever heard in your life. All right, the the, the search for Shiesty Christ begins <laughs> after I after I watch Milo and Otis. Yes. Matter of fact, if you sync up their album uh, NWL Niggas with Latitude, uh, if you if you press play at the exact moment you press play on Milo and Otis. The rumor on the street is that it syncs up perfectly. Don't tell me that shit, dog. Because you know, because you know, I will be stupid enough to try that shit.
Is there anything else that you want to talk about as far as the tour goes? Um, man, there's so many stories that I'm forgetting. And I wish I wish I just had them on lock. Like Portland. Oh, I meant to say Portland is my favorite city in the country. It turns out it's my first time I got to go to Portland. I met the nicest bouncer in the world. He's like a six foot six offensive lineman looking just sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me this story about uh, when he accidentally like worked at a skinhead bar when he was 16. Oh no. And uh like yeah, it it's crazy. Like if you're ever in Portland, just man, see if you can find this guy. You'll know him because he's literally the biggest human <laughs> that <laughs> exists without football pads. And oh, uh no. and he's he's just the nicest. But uh yeah, don't fuck up around him otherwise, man, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. But man, I also wanted to say about Baltimore, I man, I wanted to, to get to the con and, and, and get to meet you so bad, but there was literally no time for anything other than like and that that was the thing of the whole tour is, you know, you, you say to yourself, Oh man, I'm gonna literally see the country and what happens is you literally see the highway and nothing else. Yep. And that's that's what happened in Baltimore. But when we got to the venue, uh I don't know if you've ever been in the auto bar. No, I've but never, no, I've never been there. No, there's a room upstairs. Um, their green room is like multi-layered. It's like two or three stories, and they have their offices back there and everything. But one of the green rooms is this room that has nothing in it except for like one chair, a bunk bed frame, and uh, and every single wall just. Top to bottom, even on the ceiling, is just covered every square inch of it in drawings of dicks. Like, just and it, it's like a historic punk venue and mm. just a, just a historic music venue. Period. And what happens is every time a band goes there, they put a new dick drawing on the wall. <laughs> and over the years, it's covered this entire room, and it's amazing. That's like that's insane. Like, start a band so that you could possibly go see this room. (laughs) It's the most amazing, like, from the most rudimentary, like, early Mesoamerican cave drawings to, like, the most intricate, like, just works of art. All in black Sharpie, and they're all dicks. I don't don't have any words for that. There, There are no words for it. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure because I don't have any words for it at all. I can't. I, I cannot think. I'm trying to think of something. I'm just like, and the only thing I can think of is, hmm. That, that's all I can think of. That's all I can think of. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, that's, yes, well, hmm. Yes, that's all I can say. So when I think of Baltimore, I think of that room. <laughs> It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's the kind of room where if you go there, like on the wrong set of drugs, like you're gonna have a bad time. Oh no, that would fuck with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Somebody's drawing a bunch of dicks on the wall. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, you. How can you even quantify that? I, but that's that's a thing though. Like, it's the weirdest thing. But it is like totally a thing. Like if you just go to 
like a backstage area of any venue that's been around for any amount of time, mm-hmm. you're going to see at least a couple dick drawings. <laughs> like at least, at least. Like seeing but, in my mind, I'm just wondering where the inspiration comes from to do that. I have no idea. You know what I'm saying? It's that that's where I, I just like I'm trying to comprehend, you know, like what triggers, you know, like so like probably the first person is like, you know what? I'm just going to be a rebel. I'm going to draw a dick on the wall. And then, yeah. for, and then for somebody else, there's like a whole other meaning to it. You know what I mean? It, every, mm-hmm. you know, I, and like the thing is, then you start to look at all that shit and you're trying to interpret all the different, all the different meanings and visions. This is some really fucked up shit. Yeah. And let me go draw one real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's just like no words, none whatsoever. It's yeah. It's amazing. Let's talk about some other things. This is this is a little bit different because uh, we're kind of going back to the old school a little bit. Yes, yes, and I I appreciate this. When I got the email from you, you know, talking about what we were going to be discussing, I got excited, man. Well, good, cool, because this is something that I've never really done before. I mean, like, yeah, we've talked about music and hip hop and, and things like that on the podcast, but. And we talked about specific years, specific years and things like that, but not to this extent. And this is something I might start doing in the future, um, depending on when I can get out shows. We're going to talk about two albums, two specific albums right now. The first one, we're going to talk about an album released by Darkman X, a.k.a. DMX. <laughs> the 1998 release, <clears throat> It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Released on May 12th, 1998. It hit number one in the U.S. R&B charts. Four times platinum in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, when was the first time you heard this record? The day it came out. I made a special trip. Like, my friends and I would go to the record store every week just to see what was coming out. But we would go on Wednesdays. When this record came out, like this is one of the few records at that time when I knew when it was coming out and I made a special trip to the record store to get the record on the day it came out because I was so excited for this record. Hmm. Like I I first heard DMX and I'm sure a lot of people did on the 4321 uh cut off of LL Cool J's album. Yes. Um that was where a lot of people first heard Cannabis. Um you know, Method Man and Red Man were on the song too, but they were, you know, obviously well established by that point. But the other person who was on that song, and I believe he had the last verse before LL Cool J, was DMX. And oh my God, that verse blew my mind. <laughs> like, it was one of those eye opening moments like, holy shit, you can rap like that. Yeah. Don't stay out after dark. Because if I catch you when the sun is down, running clown, come up off that. I'm gonna gun it down. What is that? However, it's gonna go. It's gonna be that. However, it's gonna go. It's gonna be that. See that? That shit'll finish you, dog. Believe that. Where we at? Do you value your life as much as your possessions? Don't be a stupid nigga. Learn a lesson. I'm gonna get you either way, and it's better to live. Let me get what's in your sock, cause it's better to give, to receive. Believe what I say when I tell you. Don't make me put you 
just like that stutter stop he's like yeah. preacher it was it was like it was but it was so it was so weird the first time i i heard i heard that that you know that line from 4321 because i was you know i was a big ll fan so when i heard phenomenon was coming out i was like all right mm-hmm. let me go get this record you know and it had like all the the hit producers at the time and and you know, and L was trying to you know get back on that echelon of um, you know of top hip hop artists. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he's he's always he's always had these peaks and valleys. Oh yeah, he's always had peaks and valleys. And I just remember when that when that track dropped, um, like uh, I think I was a uh, where was I? I was I think I was in um, I was visiting some friends and I think in Washington D.C. and they had the album. And I think they got it a couple of weeks before it actually got released because they had a friend who had a friend who had a friend. And when they played that, I was like, who is this dude? They were like, oh, that's a dude by the name of DMX. And like he's on Def Jam and like he he was originally on Columbia Records. He was on Rough House Records and he got, you know, and he, you know, and they didn't do anything with him. So he got out of his contract or he got dropped from the contract and he, you know, he found his way to Def Jam. And like this is like, you know, this is like his first gig on um, on Def Jam be on this L track. I was like, man, this dude is kind of fierce. Yeah. And yeah. and like and to me listening to that like that song to hear you know because you knew meth meth and man and red man were going to kill it okay because like they oh, yeah were, you know course. they were hot at that time anyway okay so yeah. you know that's a given okay that's fine that's a given but then you hear cannabis okay and that's the first time i ever heard cannabis yeah me too and, and i was like man this dude's kind of cold you know mm-hmm. and the thing is is that that wasn't even the original verse no that cannabis had and i heard the original i was like Damn, I was like, that's kind of that's kind of brash. Oh, it's kind of brash. Be like, yo, yo, L, let mm. me borrow that mic off your arm. Mm. You know, I'm like, come on, man, <laughs> you just started. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's it's not like <laughs> it's not like hearing Nas or Nasty Nas for the first time ever on, um, well, not the first time because I think the first time Nas showed up was live at the barbecue. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but like for me, the first time I heard Nas was back to the grill again on MC Search's album. Oh wow. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's the first yeah. time I ever heard Nas. The thing is, that whole track, I think when L heard all those pieces, that literally made LL drop one of his strongest verses in, in, a, in a good period of time. And oh, yeah. Period. Yeah. And I don't care if everybody else did their stuff, he heard it and then put something out last. I don't care. That's probably still one of his best closing, one of his best lyrical performances ever. Because he yeah. literally told Cannabis, watch your mouth, don't ever step out of line, LL Cool J, yeah. greatest of all time. You know, I'm just like, and he said a lot of shit. And he talked mad shit on that track. And it was all oh, yes. pointed at Cannabis. Yep. All of it was pointed <laughs> at Cannabis. You know, and I was just like, geez. So, but, but that's besides the point. Let's get back to the DMX. For me, I was just like you. I heard that and I was just like, wow. But see, something else I also heard. Mm. Money, power, respect. Yeah. On that Locks album. And he was the last dude on the song. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. And, and I was just like, who is this? And once again, I was like, yeah. who is this? Because, like, he was from Yonkers and the Locks were from Yonkers, too. Yeah. This is a beat that I can freak. Just drop the rails. Bless a nigga with the L. Y'all niggas know my skills. X from the grill. Hit him up. Split him up. Wet him up. Watch him come. Get him up. Shut him up. When you do dirt, you get dirt. Bitch, I make your shit hurt. Step back like I did work. Say no fucking game. You think I'm playing? Till you land? To wear the junk, y'all to can? 
motherfucking trigger. Did I? Can I get my? Is it gone? Did you What? I was yeah. just like, no, I just it, it, and once again, it was just like that crazy, that crazy flow. And I'm not talking like in that grimy, like onyx stuff. Okay, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, going, I'm no. not talking about that. This is something completely different. And I'm like, he just closed out this whole song. He just killed everybody on this track. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I had com- just completely forgotten about that song because I, I, th- I forgot he was on that. I think Money, Power, and Respect was actually before Four, Three, Two, One. I think. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, um, I might be wrong, but I, I, it, it may have been. But anyway, but still, I still remember four, three, two, one, because like that's the like I remember that specifically because BET had that video on constant rotation. The four, three, two, one video. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. And um, can I just say that that beat was Eric Sermon, right? Oh, but of course. Oh, that beat was crazy. Sermon is one ba-dum, of them. Doom, 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 doom. Oh my God! Yeah, Sermon is one of the most underrated producers of all time. Mm-hmm. Period. Like I, I don't think people like really realize besides like besides the EPMD stuff how many beats he has made over the decades for hip hop and R and B acts. Oh yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, and like people sleep. I think people still sleep on Sermon. Like Sermon is that dude is legendary to me, but um. But yeah. no, but like, Man, he so. did not to go off on another tangent, but yeah. he did the I Shot the Sheriff remix for Warren G. Yes. Which is an amazing song. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, is it? And, all, and, and it almost made me buy that album, Look Over Your Shoulder. <laughs> and I'm so glad my friend bought it and he copied it for me. And I was like, I appreciate that because I would have been salty if I'd have bought this. And I just saved $12 on the tape. Yes. Oh, I'd have been hurt. I'd have been hurt. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I, so I was able to invest my money somewhere else. Um, <laughs> but wise choice, yeah, sir. man, yeah. It's just oh, that I, I, my feelings. I'd, I'm for I'd have been real. That look, that was a lot of money back then. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, but I just remember before, like when it's dark and it's dark and hell is hot came out. When that came out, I remember a few months before. Seeing this underground, the way it was filmed, it was it seemed like an underground underground video. Okay, it was black and white, and it was for his first single. Get so at where me, my dog. dogs at. Get no, at me, dog. Yeah, get at me, dog. You yeah. know, yeah. Okay, where my dogs at? Um, get at me, dog. And it was like all black and white, and it's just him on a stage rhyming to like a crowd, and the crowd's losing their shit. And it could have been like a live performance. Yeah, and. And the beat was sick. Okay, you know, it's crazy because it's crazy because I remember that beat from um, "Get the Bozak" from EPMD. So like, like that, mm. like they somebody took that. I was like, man, that was dope. Okay, I'm taking. I'm just gonna mix it a little bit more. Yeah, and make it even more hard. I had the single. I, I worked at Target. I was in high school when that record came out, and I worked at Target. And Target would get this selection of like really silly ass random. Like see these singles mm-hmm. and that single, the where my dogs at get at me dog single was on that. And I, I bought it cause I was buying everything that had instrumentals at the time. Uh, and, see. Yes, yes. And like, I, I put it in cause you know, again, and I was excited cause I had heard him on the four, three, two, one, uh, song and man, 
I, my expectations were met and exceeded. Mm-hmm. Now, and, when you got that, mm-hmm. when you got that CD single, was it the maxi single that also had the B side "Stop Being Greedy." Yes. Thank you. And now I'm I may be mistaken about this. I want to say ATF was on the song as well, um, or was on the single. No, like the I, I have the maxi single in my iTunes, and I know right now Julian is shaking his head like Sean. I want to see these singles. <laughs> I had the maxi single. I had both versions of Get At Me Dog. Instrumental. Oh, they had the instrumental and the regular. Plus, mm-hmm. Stop Being Greedy and the instrumental. Mm-hmm. Plus, this track where Irv Gotti was talking mad shit that I always skipped. And <laughs> uh, and then it had a Get At Me Dog freestyle featuring the locks. Wow. Uh, And this was during an area yeah, you had hard rappers, but not like DMX when this no. when this came out. Nobody was like that hard. You know what I'm saying? Like if you saw that dude in real life, you may literally walk across the other side of the street. <laughs> yeah, there's a very real chance. He he brought back or like repopularized, or maybe even for the first time. No, it had to be repopularized because I know Onyx was doing it, but he was like just all decked out in like camo. Like from head to toe, the baggy camel jeans with the like work boots and like a just a camel vest mm-hmm. and nothing else. Yes. And there was even a video for Stop Being Greedy. And that was a yeah. B side. I'm like, yeah. yo, man, I'm like, why we got a video about a home invasion? <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, it don't make no sense for somebody to be this hard. And this is coming from someone who grew up listening to the catalog of Ice Cube, listening to NWA, yeah. listening to Public Enemy, you know, yeah. list, you know, all types of stuff. And the thing is, like, I didn't like Wu came out in 93, but I didn't really listen to Wu's album in its entirety until like two years later. Mm hmm. Because, you know, you you had the radio, you had Rap City, you had UMTV Raps. So, like, sometimes, like, albums, like, for me, would, like, either I would get them much later and I could and I had a better appreciation of them, or some of them I would get right away. And this album was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of it came from, you know, like you said, 4321, the, the appearance with the locks, and the Get At yep. Me Dog maxi single. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it was, there was such a great setup, I felt that. This can't be. This can't be a letdown. You know, there's too much yeah. potential on the table. And at that time, Def Jam was essentially rebuilding its image and rebuilding itself. Yeah. So Do you remember this when this CD came out? It was a double disc, and that second disc was like the preview mm-hmm. of of like the next set of Def Jam releases. Yes, and they did that for a while because yeah. like the, oh, yeah. the second wave had that. Um, <laughs> the second wave had an additional CD that had it was like Def Jam 2000, and then they had that LL Cool J cannabis diss track called "The yeah. River Strikes Back." Yup, yup, I remember that. That one was that in the Jail Felony album? Oh no, 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 it, it, no, <laughs> no! I don't even think that could have boosted that brother's sales. Um, Man, but it was in, it was in a few different a few different discs. But like during that period of time when this DMX album came out, Def Jam was rebuilding itself, and I, they were rebuilding themselves mm-hmm. to like prove their like net worth and value because yeah. they were trying to find a buyer huh. because they were about to because they were about to be sold a couple years later. Because like especially during the Def Jam 2000 movement, they were either about to be bought.
bought by Polygram or something like that. I can't because I cannot remember the number of times Def Jam got sold. It used to be Def Jam was under C, was under like Columbia CBS, mm-hmm. and then Def Jam just became a Rush associated label, and it was a Rush Rush so sorry Rush associated label for a good period of time, and then they built backs they built stock back up in the company, and then um, it became part of Polygram by like. Uh, like 96, because they got like a 10% stake in in, uh, in Def Jam. And then Polygram got purchased by Seagram, and then it became uni- owned by Universal Music, and then it became like Island Def Jam. Hmm. Def Jam has like one of the strangest, well, I, I shouldn't say strange, but like as far as like acquisitions go, it's one of the like most deep, like one of the most strangest, strangely detailed acquisitions in like yeah. music history. It's like literally, it's the hip hop music equivalent or music equivalent of. Spider-Man, the rights of Spider-Man going through like 15 different companies before yeah. Columbia was like, no, we got these damn rights. <laughs> but um Yeah. But no, um so they're re- you know, they're rebuilding their image, they're rebuilding their stock. And I remember I saw the album cover for It's Dark and Hell is Hot. You know, and it's like this like deep red and DMX mm-hmm. like yep. kind of has blood on them. Not like the second album, but a little bit. Just a little bit. We might talk about that second album in a oh. moment. God. Um, yeah. Um, oh God, yeah. But, um, you know, but it's just like, this is real dark, like, dem- you know, like demonic type font for DMX. And yeah. Playing this album now, in 98, I thought this album was, was like the complete nut of shit. Now that I'm older, like 15 years, like 15 years later, mm-hmm. I can get through half this album. Really? Like, half the album is still awesome. The other half, I'm just like, because I heard these types of things so many times before, I'm like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Skip. Yeah. Now, I have a theory about this record. Okay. Every single piece of this album, from every song to the context from which it came out to just even the songwriting, not so much production. Production was solid. And I, I actually looked it up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Dame Grease did every beat except for three. Really? Yeah. He didn't do Crime Story, which is one of my favorite songs on the record. It has one of my favorite lines on the whole album. Yeah. He goes, don't you ever in your motherfucking life know when I got a gun, come at me with a knife. All right? And that, like, when I heard that the first time, I was like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) But it's this, like, it's, you know, it's a Irv Gotti and Lil Rob beat. Mm -hmm. And it's just a straight up like sample loop it's one of the laziest beats but it's such a good sample that it doesn't need to be anything else yes um and it's just a great like it, it's it is what it says it's a crime story yes um because he then, can tell a good story though oh yeah he's a great storyteller man atf are you kidding me yeah that song is crazy yeah. like i've never experienced like being on the edge of my seat listening to a song like i like <laughs> the first time i heard atf mm-hmm. irv Gotti and lil rob also did the intro and of course swiss beats did uh rough riders anthem yes yes he did which is by far my least favorite song on this album i hate that song really so much so much i hate it the beat is terrible it's so repetitive and his and DMX's flow on the song is just a steaming pile of garbage. 
You really, and I it, mean, you really hate that song that much? Wow, that is. I hate, I, and I have always hated it. Like from the first time I heard it, I was like, and it's the second song on the album. So when I heard it, I was like, oh my god, this album is gonna be terrible. <laughs> and then the rest of it was the rest of it, and I was like, okay, Whew. <laughs> it's just the one. Mm. Swiss Beats has come a long way since the days of. Uh, since since the days of the Rough Riders anthem, yeah, he still got questionable stuff. If you ever if you ever read any of uh, Big Ghostface uh, opinions on Swiss Beats, uh, he will he will tell you his true opinions. Big uh, Ghostface has correct opinions about everything. You know, it's it's some of the funniest stuff I've ever read in my entire life. Um, but but no, I just remember hearing this so much through college. You know, during my college days, because um, I was in, like, folks just like ate this up, and like I would always see. At at the bar where they had karaoke, there would always be a group, like just a group of white kids that had to be hard. Oh, yeah. Of and, course. And the best way for them to be hard would be to perform the Rough Riders anthem. Of course. You know. And so, and like, and so for like, so most folks like me, I would just get annoyed. Um, and like, that's what I remember most about that song. You know, not, you know, that's that's what I remember most. I don't remember the song. I just remember those moments. And that made me at times not like the song. Sometimes I could deal with it, depending on depending on where I was at. But a lot of times, like it has like a negative connotation for me, um, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And yeah. and that's and that mo- like moments like those were why. Um, mm-hmm. So I you know, so I, I I feel your frustration on that. But I will say, see, I didn't know that Dame Grease produced a a bunch of um, a lot of the songs. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, when when I saw the track list, I was like, "Wow, really?" Like, I almost didn't recognize the name. Yeah, like I, I, I honestly, I can't even tell you what else he's done. I just know he's one of those dudes that's been like secretly doing masterpieces behind the scenes for a long time. He was everywhere. The '90s, like early 2000s, dude. He was like his beats were like on tons of mixtapes. Yeah, you, you know, you know what I mean. And he just he was he was everywhere. I mean. He helped. He helped the Rough Riders like mold their image and sound. A lot of people think that that was Swiss Beats, but that was really Dame Grease. And not only that, but he taught Swiss Beats how to do his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because the thing is, what people forget about Swiss Beats <clears throat> is, is for like whether you love them or hate them, Swiss Beats Swiss Beats productions, for the most part, go listen to them. They're all sample free. Yeah. Yeah, true fact. You know, there's this. Yeah, he might have those repetitive hooks that just annoy the living piss out of you. But still, he, a lot of his a majority of his beats, all the beats I've heard, sample free. Now, you say sample free, and for the most part, yes. Yes. Uh, a friend of mine. I was talking with a friend of mine about producers that I hate, <laughs> and uh, of course, Swiss Beats' name came up. Oh no! And my friend was telling me that Swiss Beats. I, I haven't looked this story up, so I can't definitively tell you that it's true, but it came from a source that I trust. Um, Swiss Beats was sued and lost by Casio, the makers of the keyboards, for straight up using like the demo songs in his beats. If, if that's true, that's hilarious. I hadn't seen now I have to research this. And that is like the main issue I have with Swiss Beats production is that like that story is so believable to me mm-hmm. because that's what it's always sounded like. 
Hmm. See, I got to look that up. <laughs> I, I've got to look that. I got to do some investigating on that, man. I got to find out if that's true or not. Go while ahead. while you while you're researching that, I'm going to put forth my theory on DMX's debut album. It's dark and hell is hot. Okay, please do. Everything about it is a reaction to everything else that was happening around hip hop at the time, mm-hmm. and everything within it is so conflicted and just so contrary to itself. And and I say that because this, from, from the, the context perspective, look at what was happening at the time. Like, LL Cool J was making a comeback and he wasn't doing the same. Like, he got re-famous off of, like, the, like the girl, like the, I, I can't even remember... Um, the girl jams, basically. Yeah. Um, that's it's an offensive way to put that, but you know what I'm talking no, I, about. No, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and then Bad Boy was the biggest thing in the world, and they they were not talking about the same things that DMX was talking about. No. They all they were concerned with was making money, and a lot of it. And the West Coast at this time, like Tupac had been dead for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg, his glory days were his first day. We've talked about this before, how Snoop Dogg hasn't done anything of note since 1993. Um, <laughs> now, see, that would be a point of contention. Like, I was, I will still disagree with you on that. There have been some, and, there have been some things. Now, as far as complete albums, I, you know, I can, I can agree. But there have been some great songs since '93. I'll, I'll give you a song or two. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. But in terms of like projects on a on a grander scale, yeah, of course not. Um, and and basically there was nothing like death row was dead at that point Mm -hmm. so all you had in hip-hop all that at least all that mtv and bet would play were were the bad boy or things that sounded like it yeah and you know we've already talked about how def jam was trying to rebuild itself so this album was the hardest thing that anyone had heard since wu-tang came out yes and it, I, I, it was a reaction to all that. And he's even got, like, he's got the locks on here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with what Bad Boy did to the locks. Like, and how unhappy they were with the the way they cha- they had to change their image to be on that label. Yes. Um, and so that's, that's that. Now, from an interior uh, standpoint, like, even on... I think the, the, the best example of it being so contrary to itself is on the song um, How's It Going Down, I'm which is the... I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Please continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. That is an amazing song. It's a great beat. Mm-hmm. It's, but, and it, it's a love song, basically. Yeah. But it's still like he can't help himself from being just the hardest, <laughs> most ridiculously over-the-top thug that he can think of right like he basically writes to this girl he loves her so much that he's not gonna kill her baby's father out of respect for her yes but while i'm not killing the man that you're with go ahead and and take these drugs to the spot for me 
and we'll split the money. No, 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 no. Not only that, not only that, this song had crossover appeal. Yes. This song yes. got played on pop radio stations, and everywhere. I don't even think they knew what the everywhere. fuck it was. No. I And maybe I'm mistaking this for the movie Belly or, or Romeo Must Die, but wasn't Aaliyah related to the song somehow? Was she in the video? Or am I just making, like, or was it on that soundtrack and they played clips from it? In the video, I, I I have no idea at all because like I knew they were they were both on R- Romeo Must Die. Yeah, um, maybe both, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but, but um, and like uh, on the Romeo Must Die soundtrack, they had a song together called "Come Back in One Piece." Okay, um, okay, but that's that must be what I'm thinking. But of. but see, like that's that's the whole thing. Now, you, you go back to the, going back to the album. It's because it's like this album has like 19 tracks, including the skits. Mm-hmm. Which was a really bad staple in '90s hip hop <laughs> records. Yeah, but still, it's 19 tracks, and 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 uh, how's it going down is literally in the middle. Okay, it's in the middle of the album. Yeah, and I, it's in the middle of the album for two for me for two reasons. One, it's it's the song where where like when Puff would go to Busta Rhymes when Busta Rhymes was coming out with his first solo album, he's like, "Listen, you got to have a song for the ladies." Yeah, and and even though technically in a way. How's it going down? Really isn't a song for the ladies. It's still a song no. that, that that the ladies will listen to. Yeah, because Faith. It was Faith Evans, not Aaliyah. It was right. Faith Evans on the hook. Right, and seeing the thing is, but also at the same time, depending on when you bought your copy, your version may not have had Faith on it. Huh. Mine doesn't. Huh. But if you went out and bought the single or bought the album single. You know, you might get, you know, you probably would have the Faith Evans like background vocals on it because mine, my copy of It's Dark and Hell is Hot does not have Faith Evans singing on the hooks and it doesn't have her background vocals on it. It's just, just, just random. I don't know who it is. So I don't know, like maybe the version I got didn't have clearance yet. So they were like, well, we got to put this album out. And, um, but no, but. That was like that was a thing, but like it's literally it's one of those. I don't want to say it's a perfect pop song because it's not a pop song; it's a hip hop track. But once again, it had crossover appeal. Pop stations oh, yeah. played it, and say for instance, like R and B stations that would that would kind of play hip hop but wouldn't um, because mm-hmm. of content, mm-hmm. because of content in the songs. Somehow it snuck in. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. And so it was like the it was like the it was like the meat in two slices of bread of this album. Yeah, and the song, it's not, like like you're saying, it's not a pop song. It's got, like, four or five verses, mm-hmm. like, full-length verses. Yeah, 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 which, something else that you wouldn't have nowadays. I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's, no. that's, that's three song, verses max. Yeah, that song's, like, five minutes long. Yeah. You know, and even a radio edit was still, luck was still probably, like, four minutes, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, like. At, at most. At, at, you know, at most. So, it's, it, like I said, you don't, you don't get that now. And, mm-hmm. um. But I just remember hearing that and, and going back to that because I remember I had the album and I listened to it a few times. But then like hearing that single when it hit the radio, I was like, man, I need to go back and listen to this album. Like I've had, I had it for a few months. I need to go back and listen to it. But I just remember, you know, like songs like Fucking With D, um, mm-hmm. Look Through My Eyes, um, Let Me Fly. Yeah, yeah um, now, and, and those two, the, the last two that you mentioned specifically mm-hmm. go with my theory because those are songs that are supposed to be like up not so much uplifting mm-hmm. but like like eye opening or like this right. is this is what's happening and this is what's wrong mm-hmm. but then like again he can't help himself from making death threats 
Yeah. And and like all the other ridiculous shit. Right. Like he would, you know, basically it's like every song he was trying to tell you how damaged he is. Mm-hmm. But well, not every song, but majority of song, majority of the songs yeah. are songs like uh, "Look Through My Eyes," "Let Me Fly," "I Can Feel It." There's always this thing of like he's trying to be in, in like some songs positive, but yeah. at the same time he's also going to show you this is I'm, I'm he's like I'm yeah I'm going to show you how flawed I am because I just told you a moment ago to be positive, but I'm about to tell you some of the hardest thug shit ever. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and, and that, and then like, and basically, the whole album is him essentially saying, "I can't break away from this." Yeah, no matter how hard I try, I can't break away from this, and this is who I am. Exactly, and he is trying, mm-hmm. and that's where the that's where the conflict comes in. Another thing, and I'm sure you noticed this, is that on on more than one song, on a handful of songs, he's like. He plays two different characters. Yes, yes. It's, most, n- most notably, Damien. Yeah, and seeing like, and that's the song I don't fuck with. That song was. That song is terrifying. Yeah, that song I don't fuck with. I skip it. I listened to that two times. My entire ownership of this album. Fifteen years. I listened to that song two times, and both times I was like, you know what? This is even too disturbing for me. And the thing, it's like it's it's more disturbing than Give Me the Loot. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it's more disturbing than "Give Me the Loot" because in Notorious B.I.G.'s "Give Me the Loot," he says some really fucked up shit in that song. Yeah. Okay, really fucked up shit. Damien goes above and beyond that. Will yeah. not listen to that song. Will not. Damien. Damien has this weird like sense of like I know what I'm doing and I'm in control of it, but I'm not gonna stop because I enjoy it and right. I enjoy seeing. The, the chaos that ensues when I act this way. I don't, I don't fuck with it. I'm for real. I, I leave it alone. I'm for like, I, dude, like I remember after hearing that, I was like, I need to go outside and see the sun for like four hours, four hours <laughs> and cleanse my soul before I go back and listen to the rest of this album. And see, and it's weird because Damien is right before How's It Going Down. Yeah. And so it's like, listen, we just gave you one of the scariest, most deeply disturbing songs in hip hop. Mm-hmm. So, huh? Let me make you feel better here. Yeah, <laughs> by by not killing your baby mother, your baby father. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like nowadays half this album is playable i you know i'll a little bit more than half the album is playable to me now um because like you know a lot of a lot of times with some of these records time changes things mm-hmm. and it changes your yeah. outlook you know and like sometimes your personal tastes change mm-hmm. but um oh, yeah. i one thing i will say that dame grease did the, you know, the producer of the record his use of samples i gotta admit it was like i'm like i didn't expect i didn't expect some of the samples he used to to use like with stop mm-hmm. being greedy who knew the sample a, D, a Diana Ross song? Yeah, like a, a yeah. sample from like My Hero Is a Gun or something like that. It's like yeah. like deep cuts. Yeah, I'm like who <laughs> you know you know who does that? You know what I'm saying? Like that's something that like Q Tip will go do. You yeah, know what I mean? Like Pete Rock or somebody. Pete Rock. Yeah, they go dig deep. That's why I mean like like crate digging. Yeah. Like when when I think about cats that dig in crates, Pete Rock, Q Tip, like those dudes, I think. Mm-hmm. Of cats that are really going deep. I think every like mid to late '90s album had that obvious sample 
Like I can feel it. Yeah. All right. Somebody else sampled Phil Collins, and they still didn't do it right. Fuck. <laughs> Next. You know. You know what I mean. That like, stuff like that always makes me like always makes me salty because there's a great way to sample that song, and I still don't think anybody's done it yet. Oh no. No. Even with the convo, I'm like, who fuck samples the Bee Gees' "Nights on Broadway"? Oh man, I just listened to that like maybe ten minutes before we started this conversation. That beat is amazing. Yeah, man. I really have to give props to the production. Yeah, uh, uh, you know of its of its dark and hell is hot and yeah, and it really did change things hip hop wise. We still had a, a decently diverse bit of hip hop from this period of time. You know, like from ninety eight, mm-hmm. ninety nine, two thousand. Still pretty div- diverse, but still it changed things. Absolutely. It it broadened, you know, for better or for worse, you could argue either one, but it it broadened the scope of what hip hop was talking about at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, but what it also did, though, what it also did, and this was something that record labels were kind of notorious for, like when they didn't expect something to be as big as it as it as it became. Mm-hmm. It becomes the thing of, well, we could put out more singles, but hmm. these singles are too hard and we'd have to cut these up or, you know, we'd have to reverse the words, you know, get that, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's way too hard. It's just, it's way too difficult. We can't put out any more singles. So let's put another album out. No more, no more than seven months later. Was it that soon? It was that soon. You want to know why? Because I got flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood for Christmas. Oh, man. As a Christmas gift, to which I, because I remember my mom bought it for me. And she was just like, I heard you like DMX. She was like, baby, I don't know about this. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's covered in blood. And I was like, yeah. I was like, mom, you didn't have to get this for me. She started laughing. <laughs> she started laughing. I was, I was like, and I laughed about it too. Because I was just like, come on, mom, why, why you give me this? Yeah. Um, but seven months later, Jeez, because he, he said more time. <laughs> because because he was that popular, Def Jam was like, we got to get something out, mm-hmm. and and to this day, I don't know whether it was a rushed album. I don't know if these were uh, if these were like songs that were left off of the uh, off the previous record. They were like, oh, just make a whole other album of this, and we'll put some other tracks on here. Still, it, it sold. Like yeah. it was this album was number one for three weeks. I'm not talking. Well, I'm, not talking all, I'm not talking about darkest and hell is hot anymore. I'm talking about flesh in my flesh, blood in my blood. Was number one yeah. for three weeks. Yeah, four. It sold four million copies. Yes, you know, and like it shipped like I think like seven hundred thousand copies its first week. Jeez. And uh, if memory serves me right, according to uh, Wikipedia, take it, take it, take it. Um, you know, take it or, or leave it. Mm-hmm. He is the second rapper to have two albums in this released in the same calendar year to debut at number one on Billboard's Top 100, with yep. the first being two, uh, Tupac Shakur with his albums All Eyes on Me in February of '96 and Don Calum- the Don Caluminati, um the Seven Day Theory in November of '96. Wow. Um, yeah, because I forgot about the Caluminati album. Um, yeah, Ma- the Machiavelli man, yeah. Machiavelli. That album is. Um, well, I haven't listened to it in years, but I remember that album being incredible. Real quick, with Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, I just remember listening to this. And I was like, this is a hot mess. And, and then somebody had the idea of, let's do a Damien Part 2 and go bring in Marilyn Manson. I was just like, I was done. I I was completely done. But then he would come <laughs> But then he would come back, though, and do a song like Slippin'. 
And Slippin' is a great song, but it's still that thing of, I'm completely damaged, but I'm going to make it through, and you can make it through and be successful yourself. And I love that song, but... I'm not going to lie, man. I listened to this album one or two times, Mm -hmm. hated it, and have never picked it up again. There's only... I'm going to be straight up with you. There are three songs on this album that... I will listen to Slippin', Coming From, and the reason why I listen to Coming From is because Mary J. Blige is on it, mm-hmm. and Blackout, because it's got Jay-Z and the locks on it. Hmm. Besides that, everything else gets no play. <laughs> None. Now, like Even It's All Good, which is basically a song, essentially, with samples uh, Tana Gardner's Heartbeat, where he's basically talking about all the girls that he fucks. Hmm. And oh yeah, that's the one where he like is he just like rhymes names. Yeah, yeah, he's talking, yeah. yeah it just I'm just like this is insane. Tamika, Tanya, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like you play that in the club, girls lost their fucking minds, mm-hmm. and I remember that time. But that album was awful, but it sold. You know, you fooled a lot of people with that one. Yeah, man. But still, <laughs> but but that but but it didn't matter. It didn't matter no. because no. because he still sold. But then the thing is, I think people don't understand from May of '98 to like early 2000 nobody was fucking with DMX it's dark and and hell is hot May of 98 four times platinum flesh of my flesh blood of my blood December 98 like three to four times platinum and then there was X December of 99 five times platinum I forgot about that. Yeah, I I had checked out. I was done with DMX by that point. Like, like nope, not going to get me again. No. And then there was X. I, I ain't going to lie. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, uh, oh, when, uh, oh, what was the song? Uh, What's My Name? What's My Name is one of the hardest songs ever because he, I, just talking mad shit. That was like the first single <laughs> on the album. And it comes I'm, in with, oh, the, with the piano. And it just comes in, and he's just, just hard. I was like, okay, you got me. I'll, I'll buy this. I'll, I'll buy this. <laughs> and then I got it. And I'll say, out of 100, he'd probably get a 68. Hmm. You know, and, huh. But still, he sold massively. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Massively. Because the thing is, is that he would have two... He would always make sure that he would have two songs that would get so much airplay that you had to go buy the album. Yeah. Because that song cuz like the second single on that album was that song. No, I'm sorry. Party Up was the second was the uh was the second song, the second release on that album. And folks lost their shit to Party Up. I do remember that. Folks lost their shit. And then yeah. he came out with that song with Cisco. And Oh god. What? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, dude, that was a hit. Oh that, God! Go back, go back and listen to it, because like there was a radio edit version, and then there was the album version, and people lost, or well, women essentially lost. Their shit. <laughs> okay, so but for literally nobody was fucking with DMX from like '99 to like 2000, like 2001. Yeah. Um, from '99, I'm sorry, from like from like '98, from '98 till about. Early early 2001, nobody was fucking with DMX. And then when the Great Depression dropped, he'd still go platinum in 2001. Grand mm-hmm. Champ came out in 2003, he'd still go platinum. And he all of his albums from 98 through 2003 all debuted at number one. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Okay? And that like, is crazy. And the Great Depression and Grand Champ, the only reason anybody should ever buy Grand Champ is for X is going to give it to you. The only yeah. reason. <laughs> and, and, that's a, and, that, and that's a Swiss beat song. So I know you probably don't have love for it, but I swear nope. to God, that beat is hard. <laughs> and, DM, and once again, DMX is saying, he'll say something positive and then he'll say, say something so negative right after. It's yeah. like, how can, I shouldn't listen to this. Yes. How can, the, how can these two people exist inside of this one person? Right. It's just like, oh God. But I was like, you know, and like I, I, never, I never bought Grand Champ. A friend of mine had it, so I brought it off of him. I never bought The Great Depression. I hated the first single. I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, I won't buy it. But like, DMX had me from the first three albums, and yeah, he, he had me on too. You, you know, but um, but no, man. But it was just like I said, man. That but from like, like I said, there was that period of time like Def Jam was just running the show. Yeah. Oh they, yeah. They were literally running the show. Before before we move on, there's one more thing I, I need to say about It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Yeah. Is that the very last song on the album, N-Words Done Started Something, that song contains the best Mace verse of all time. I, I may have to agree. <laughs> like, I, and I, I, I want to say it came out after his album. Uh yeah oh yeah yeah um yeah yeah yes yes so like I heard that album and I you know what I was enamored like a, you know he had that lazy southern drawl flow even being from Harlem um I I loved a lot of the songs on that album but even even in high school I recognized he's maybe not the best rapper oh but of course yeah but of course yeah but then I heard that verse and that verse it's apparently from an old song. When he was still Murder Mace? Yes. And God damn. Like, that verse is incredible. Like, it's better than most stuff today. Mm-hmm. Like, go and... Jesus, that song is amazing. That verse is absolutely incredible. Mm. Like, like from a, from a technical standpoint, there's multi-syllabic rhyme schemes and internal rhyme schemes that people just can't they haven't figured out yet Mm-mm. no but in seeing the, the, but that's but that's the that's the whole thing of it is that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to like music period what you might be bef- what you may be before a label signs you and what mm-hmm. you become after you put out an album or norm- mm-hmm. sometimes can be two different things yeah oh yeah financially it didn't hurt mace but no. he didn't want to do it again for Double Up. He put Double Up out and was like, I retire. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wanted out a bad boy badly. And he came back and he did Welcome Back. And I even go in front that, uh, oh, what was that song he did on Welcome Back that got me hype? Uh, <laughs> hold on, give me one second. Was it, uh, what was it called? Um, Breathe, Stretch, Shake. That oh, yeah. shit gets me yeah. hype. That song is dope. That song is good. The beat is banging, and like Mace's flow is just smooth. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, man, I'm like, I'm not buying. I'm not buying this album. I'm not gonna <laughs> do it. I'm not gonna do it. And even like the Welcome Back track, you know, yeah. the little the little sample of the Welcome Welcome Back Cotter song. I was just like, yeah. that was a fun song. Man. I was like, yep. I was like, I'm not gonna buy it. 
I'm not going to buy it. You know what? Yeah. I could probably get it now for a dollar at half price yeah. books. <laughs> and I should go cop it now. Just so I yeah. can listen to breathe, stretch, shake, let it go. That yeah. shit gets me hyped. You know, I used to see him walking around campus because I was at Morehouse when he was at Clark. Uh-huh. I used to just see him walking around like on the on the strip, which is like the, the main road that runs between all the AUC campuses. Yeah. Yeah. And like at the time that those songs were on the radio, it was weird. Mm. want a table i want to get back with you soon on this because i do want to talk to you about this other album um okay. another album i want to tell i want to, but i want to table it and i promise we'll get back to it because oh, i had no idea that we was going to talk about dmx for that long <laughs> you didn't know i had opinions about dmx yo no i'm glad you did though <laughs> makes for great podcasting man um i tell you what let's we're going to table it and we're going to come back to it um, okay. But in the meantime, um, I need you to tell the people where they can find you. Find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the social media stuff at Tribe One One, and that's spelled T R I B E O N E W O N. You can I have a, a blog slash website at Tribe One dot net. Uh, I just started contributing to a fantastic blog called The Nerds of Color, and that's at uh, thenerdsofcolor.org. Uh, by the time you hear this, I'll probably have a couple of, of pieces on there. Um, I'm going to be on the road starting in December. Uh, Adam Warrock and I are doing a like Western and Midwest uh, comic store tour. So for the first two weeks of December, we're going to be uh, rocking in comic shops. We're going to be going back to Louisville. Um, that's actually the last show of the tour. It's like December 20th or 21st. Um, but yeah, we're doing that in January. I'm going to be on the West Coast with uh, Adam Warrock again and a special surprise guest who will be announced at a later time. I, I have an album coming out. Malibu Shark Attack is finally going to be released early next year don't have an exact date for it but please check for it we have a single on itunes right now it's called doing it wrong uh it's only a dollar so even if you hate it it's only a dollar um and my group the remnant our album indian summer finally released everywhere october 22nd so and it's i've never been more proud of any music i've ever done it's indian summer um, please check it out, and I, I I know you're gonna like it. I think I think that's all my plugs. Uh, but tribe, thanks again for coming by and for oh, coming by. And I promise always you, a pleasure. I, I promise you, we are going to get because we're going to finish this conversation. <laughs> because trust me, because we got to talk about that other album. So uh, uh, I don't know if you're gonna like what I have to say. Oh man. no, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's what this is all about is discussing things, man. Look. Try to tell people, and it's a lot, and it's a lot, it's a lot for folks to learn. It's like, listen, just because, like, if I like something, you don't like something, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? If if you mm. like something, I don't like something, it's okay. L- let's talk about it because there are things that we can still talk about. You know what I mean? True. It's very true. You know, the the biggest problem is, and it, it continues to this day, is that if some too many people feel if 
somebody doesn't like something, they take it as a personal attack. Why? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Nobody's taking your joy away. If you enjoy it, great. Go ahead and enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, okay for exactly. somebody to not like it. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, I ain't care. I didn't like Iron Man 3, but if somebody else enjoyed it, dope. I'm good. I'm not going to sit there and shit in your cereal. <laughs> you know? I'm going out, like, you know, if we talk about it, I'll say, look, this is why I didn't like it. And, and you know, here's why. And then so-and-so might say, you know, well, this is why I, you know, this is why I liked it. I'm like, well, cool. If that's your experience, then cool. But I'm not going to sit there and shit in your cereal. And so don't think that. And that's the, I think that's the biggest problem with talking, you know, when trying to talk with people about music, movies, um, comic books, you know, anything nowadays. Everybody, I think, has this, not everybody, because that's paraphrasing, or that's mm-hmm. not paraphrasing, but that's, um, it's more of a blanket statement. Um too many people think that everything has to be a debate where there has to be a winner or loser. Yeah. Yeah, it has become that, hasn't it? Yes. I definitely have been in a lot of those arguments Yeah, about and, things that definitely don't have a winner or loser. Right. And yeah, because these things don't really have winners or losers. You know what I'm saying? It's it's art. Um, whether it be mainstream, underground, um, a man in a bathtub covered in blood. Um, you, you know, it's 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 it has a lot of different. Like, you know, there are different. Everybody's got a different um, thought process on it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there. Though there's always a right and wrong because sometimes there's not. But this is just discussion. You know, this ain't this. Yeah, you know, right. this isn't this isn't like cable news. This is just a fucking discussion. <laughs> So, so let's get back to that. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, we are going to discuss some things. Yes, I'm going to air some opinions. <laughs> and we're gonna have we're gonna have a good time. Sean. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We definitely gonna have a good time because we're gonna do it soon. <laughs> Please believe. But uh, but thanks yes. again for being on the show, Tribe. Yes. Thank you so much for having me back, man. Are you rich? Because I'd like to have a rich person's perspective on this Jay-Z album. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have to do with that. All right. Uh, Purely aspirational. Okay. Yes. (laughs) I think we all fit in that category. Team Tundra is back yet again for another uh, hip-hop summit. We talked about Yeezus. Um, We talked about the problems of J. Cole. We've talked about the Tribe Called Quest documentary. We have talked about just, you know, hip-hop favorites. Go back and check the catalog on iTunes, the Black Box Podcast, part of the HHWLOD Podcast Network, to check those episodes out. But today, we are talking about Jay-Z's Magna Carta Holy Grail. And... Now, I'm sure you're probably saying, well, man, this album been out for a couple of months now. Now you're talking about it via podcast? I'm like, listen, 
Sometimes you can't go out and just rush and drop a review out instantly when an album drops like and then 30 minutes later throw a review. Sometimes you got to let something marinate and listen to it many times before you can really give a true opinion on it. You I've know, been digesting. There you go. See, there, there it is. And, and I brought some people, some of my peoples from Team Tundra to this conversation. Um, the first gentleman you definitely know of. He is the Glyph nominated uh, Glyph nominated award artist. He has a webcomic called Ants. You have seen him in many art galleries and art shows over the past couple of years. If you're in the East Coast area, um, he is the man with the plan, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Julian Lytle. What's up, people? What's going on? I'm in shock right now, so please bear with me. Ben Affleck is Batman. I just gotta, I gotta get myself together for this. This is new Still rules. Dealing with it. This is new rules. New rules. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Hashtag my laugh. Hashtag my laugh. See, we're gonna talk about that Jay Z uh, twi- Twitter rules too. We gonna to talk about those too. That because that that hashtag my laugh stuff is killing me. Um, now, also on the line is a new member of Team Tundra. As a matter of fact, this was the gentleman hit me up and said, listen, we need to talk about Magna Carta Holy Grail. And, you know, I've known this gentleman for a few years, but after a conversation that we had at C2E2 with our homie Jason Wood uh, one weekend, I was like, man, I got to get this brother on the show. He's a very talented artist. He's a writer. Right now, you can currently find his work in uh, IDW's My Little Pony. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Tony Fleece. Tony, how you doing? Great, man. Friendship is magic. Y'all know that. First things first. Hey, man. Uh, very excited yes, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thank you for being on the show. And, uh, you know, like I said, we appreciate your time. So I really want to talk about Magna Carta, Holy Grail, and like a lot of different aspects. Like, you know, we got, you know, we got production, track listing, all that stuff. And we're going to throw it all out there. But the one thing that hit me is when uh, Tony replied to me via email and he was like, we must discuss jay-z's wealthiest album yet (laughs) so i need to know i need to know from you tony what does that mean to you it's so rich this this album is rich as a souffle man like (laughs) (laughs) money ain't a thing is not a thing anymore like money is absolutely a thing for this guy like he's never been richer never been wealthier than on this album this is an album i don't know who it's for really like i like it I think it's well produced, but I don't think I'll ever be able to identify. Like I can identify much more with, uh, like, with the Jay Z who slang drugs because I could at least, you know, like I could talk to four people and be selling drugs, you know, like within a week, <laughs> right? Like I could find a way to sell drugs. I could never in my life like find a way to buy a Picasso, you know, like ever. Unless I found it at a garage sale. Like, if I was one of those dudes that found a Picasso at a garage sale, then it's a big story. But this dude's talking about shit that I'll never understand. And it's kind of, I'm kind of cool with it in, like, a world music sort of way. Remember, like, world music was a big thing? It's like, I wonder what they sing about in Brazil. <laughs> like, this is what billionaires sing about. <laughs> I've never heard it from, from that perspective. I like that, though. Julian, can you speak on it for a moment? Yo, this... Okay. This is my epiphany I had like two weeks ago. One day, Jay-Z got to see American Gangster really early. And he made an entire <laughs> album called American Gangster. Because he loved that movie so much. He empathized with the character so much. One day, Jay-Z read The Great Gatsby. <laughs> you think that's what's happened here? He enjoyed it so much that he was like, yo, Boz, I got to get on the soundtrack. Boz was like, of course. After that, he was like, I'm still hyped. I got to make an album. 
<laughs> the Magna Carta Holy Grail. The album is Jay Z because he empathized so much with Jay Gatsby. Bong. He's looking for the green light, people. He's looking for the goddamn green light. That's, all it is. <laughs> That's a good point. As far as like a snapshot. Uh, of a person's life, this this sort of seems to be where he's at right now, post Gatsby. Yeah. yeah. If you bring those post Gatsby rules into it, then a song like Holy Grail makes sense because there's like such a love hate affair for fame, and that's talked about in the whole song and how, especially like when you know Timberlake says like during during the chorus, you know, one day you're screaming you love me loud, and the next day you're so cold. And right. um, I mean, it took me like about four or five times to really get what they were trying to say with that song, because like some people was like, OK, is this like a love song? I was like, no, it's not a love. It's not a love song, per se. It's you know, it's a love hate song. Fame is the woman, per se. You know, fame right. is that object of desire. And it took me and, you know, I ain't gonna lie. It took me a while to really get that. And once I got it, I was like, oh, this is tight. Although I will have to admit, though, even though I like Jay-Z's lyrics on that song, Timberlake killed it. Yeah. You know, he came in and just straight murdered the track, you, you know, like almost to the equivalent of like Kendrick Lamar murdering Big Sean on his own track. <laughs> yeah, Big Sean got murdered on his own track. I think he got demoted to single A ball. <laughs> it's just medium, medium Sean. Sean. You medium Sean. <laughs> <laughs> looked at it from the perspective of okay yeah jay-z has got a ton of money more money than he could ever do with in their entire life it's one of those things where from the first album he ever put you know put out reasonable doubt to now it's just this whole i, don't, I can't even call it like a uh, you know like a maturity type deal it's just life and it's he's just progressed to this point he's like what else can i talk about oh yeah i'm rich boom you, you know here's the album here's my life now I mean, but like, it seems it's definitely the first half of the album too. Like it, he sort of settles into it. Uh, like when he gets past the song, what's the one where he has to, where like he's upset with his neighbors? There's a song. There's a song that's just pretty much about his snooty rich neighbors, uh, like giving him the stink eye in the elevator. Like that's is that uh, somewhere is in that, America? I think yeah, isn't so. That yeah, the whole isn't that the whole album? Pretty much. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but he, but he calms down after that for a little bit. Um, that's true. It's true. Then he gets into religion for a little bit, but yeah, it's it's really about what I like about it is it's him keeping it real. Like he's taken keeping it real to a whole new level, where now he just keeps it real for only himself, like himself, <laughs> Beyonce, uh, Tom Ford, and Kanye. like four other. Yeah, yeah, Kanye, like six other people are just like, oh, I totally. I, like I'm glad he kept it real for me in that album. Like, nobody else is keeping it that real at all. Like I don't think he talked about like drug dealing or any of the type of stuff that he used to talk about at all in this album, which is kind of nice. Yeah, like it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But well, also, it's, it's like he's doing a he's doing an autobiography. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That, yeah, that works. It, but yeah, it's like he still talk about the streets. It's just that the streets is Fifth Avenue. Exactly. You know what I'm mm-hmm. You know, hey, hey, Central Park West, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to chill. I'm trying to have some some cronuts, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to, (laughs) you know, I'm trying to go to Bergdorf's, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sit on some yachts. You know, I have have no problem with this because every time Jay-Z come out of an album, 
It just gives me no more drive. I might not get the nine figures, but I'm damn sure shooting for eight. Yep, that's right. All right. You know what I'm saying? I want eight. Hey, I could be good with two. Nah, let me I'm, let me stop lying. I ain't gonna never stop. I ain't never gonna be satisfied. I'm like Galactus when it comes to trying to get this money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> one thing that one thing that gets me though, because there are some songs where I like, you know, I feel like I have to do additional research or go or go to rapgenius.com to like get a better understanding. But like the song Tom Ford, even even to the point where like Aziz and Zari like uh tweeted at Mr. Carter and said, Was it true the original title of Tom Ford was Izod? To which then uh Mr. <laughs> Mr. Carter said, Yes, but you knew that. <laughs> um, is he oh. is he on Twitter? Who uh who uh Jay Z? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I had no idea. Yeah, dude. Like I'm looking on on Rap Genius right now where cause like it has like for all their songs, for all they have the entire Magna Carta Holy Grail track listing and they try to have as much information for each song as possible, plus um lyrics. And they have like a little snippet, it's like a, just a picture from Twitter from Aziz Ansari and uh, Mr. Carter because his uh, Twitter handle is at capital S underscore capital C underscore. And for a while... Bef- just two letters. Just two letters. Just doing big things. Yes. <laughs> he got the S and C before anyone else. I think, I'm sure he paid for it. Oh, but, but of course, but of course. Because from this album, he's doing, he like gets into some Luddite shit here too where he's he's like, I don't really get into Twitter. I'm not interested in the internet. You know, like he's from that generation that got that got successful right when the internet happened so he's not involved like he's been busy the whole time the internet was happening right. i'm shocked i had no idea he had a twitter account it yeah it didn't like, even occur to me he you know he doesn't he doesn't tweet too much but what was funny was was that right before the album dropped uh you know he said the album's not ready out and you know something to the event to the fact of like he's platinum certified already before the release because of the deal with samsung yeah, yeah. Uh, you know buying a million copies and then, like, you know, he was talking some other stuff and then people would tweet back at him because, like, for a while, you know, Jay would just put some tweets out and that was it. And he, you know, and he didn't tweet for a while. And then he started coming around during the same year, right before the Samsung release of Magna Carta Holy Grail. And then people would tweet at him and he started replying to some people. And then he would finish with some of his tweets with after, like, you know, after he replied to somebody's tweet, he would put like in brackets. It'd be like bracket star my laugh bracket what? <laughs> because if you wouldn't say lol it would be my laugh wow because he did he did this the fact is that clearly he doesn't use twitter because he didn't hashtag it no well fuck hashtags and weird tweets <laughs> as you know 140 characters in these in streets, streets. <laughs> <laughs> Jay is the only dude right now, I think, that could do a song like Picasso Baby. Pushed out to the streets, wanting a Picasso, wanting a Warhol. Um, talking about you know twin Bugattis outside the art the art uh, Basel or Art Basel, Da Vinci, Ricardo Tishi. I can never say his last name. Is it Da Vinci? Uh, uh, Ricardo Tishi. He uh, he's yeah. the head designer for Da uh, Vinci. Okay, cool. Thank you. I, I appreciate that because sometimes you know when he be flowing, I'm like, what he say? I got to go back and look. But think about all the art. Yeah. All the art that gets talked about in this song, you know, that's like on some like art nerd shit. 
And, you know, and that's like bringing like a whole new level to like hip hop heads. Just like, whoa, what the fuck is Jay talking about? For me, it was one of those things where Jay is just essentially saying, listen, you know, all that materialistic shit is cool. But you know what? Maybe you need to go invest in something that can actually bring you some money back later. That's, that's an interesting take on that. You, you know, I mean, a piece. I mean, it's not the whole thing because you know Jay is like, look, I got money. I can get what the fuck I want. But yeah. But I think a, I think some of the some of the songs in here, he's trying to teach people cryptically that they need to learn one, learn how to invest in themselves, and then invest in things that actually have a value and have a value later in life that they can use. Whether I don't that, think that's what he's saying at all. You know, I think so. he's saying I think he's saying money ain't a thing, and in this case, mm-hmm. a fortune ain't a thing. He said it's okay for his baby to lean on a Basquiat that he keeps in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't. Like he, he keeps a Basquiat in the kitchen, mm-hmm. according to this song. Right, and it's all right if his baby. I assume that's what he's saying. Right, that it's cool if the baby wants to just go ahead and don't worry about it. It's only a Basquiat. He's not around to make another one. It's yeah. hers. She owns it's it. Her Basquiat. <laughs> <laughs> that's. That's the one he got for the baby. Yes. <laughs> when you have money, you could do that. Now, like I said, I, it's not a hundred percent clear message of do these things to help yourself. You know, please believe. Like I said, there's going to be some ignorance. Um, <laughs> Here's what I hope happens in the wake of this song: is you remember when Cristal got upset at rappers <laughs> uh, when they were they were like, "Listen, we just rather you guys didn't drink this anymore. Uh, this isn't the image we're trying to put out there." Like they got real nasty, and uh, and rappers turned around. I I see the whole art world's asshole tightening right now. Yeah, it's, like it's, they, it's like not though. I just it's not it's not it's not. You don't think? Yo, like I I picture it, in their minds they see like the yin yang twins showing up to buy original art and are just it, like, um, what are they gonna do with this? Wait, we'll be very honest. When Jay Z buys a piece of art, Basil, that artist now his career skyrockets. His or her career skyrockets. So there's an artist that was in Basil last year. Yeah, they bought one of his pieces for like fifty or hundred k. It was something, you know, for them. It ain't really nothing because money ain't a thing. But for that artist, yo, yo, you just got co-signed by Jay-Z and Beyonce. That means everybody else down there who got money is now going to check for your little show in Art Basel in Miami. So where they getting, everybody's getting drunk and drinking champagne and everything, all the debauchery and artists happening. Your career just went, just hit, hit fireworks. It's just like, I can now pop bottles because now I just jumped into a whole new tax bracket because Jay-Z just bought my shit. So they're a taste it's been that for years. Yeah, it's been that way for a couple years now. Mm. Like wow. they get to go through our basil first, like them, Beyonce, other rich people, you know what I'm saying, Kanye and them. They go down there first, see what they want, buy it all up. And Ooh, then the rest of the people go down and get to look at it because they can't afford it. And that's when the parties happen and all this stuff. You know, see, see guys on the low, when I'm not talking about comics, that I I do follow fine art. People don't know this. I like this. <laughs> I'm glad you're here with an answer for that. But yeah, yo, he really does buy art. Like it's it's serious. Like it's kind of annoying the amount of. My thing is, is like he's he's kind of pushing in everybody's faces. Like yeah, yeah I got Basque yachts. Yeah, I got Picasso's. Yeah, I got this, that, and the third. Like, come on, man, you could you could yo chill, man. Do you really? You don't hear freaking 
all the, the rich white guys talking about, look at all the fresh art I just got that's like 100 years old. No, they, they chill. They chill. <laughs> they chill. You ain't got to run like everybody's he, faces. I don't like that he had to try and rhyme the word Warhol with ball. Like, somehow it didn't work at all. Like, okay. the word Warhol and the word ball rhyme when I say them. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he put some sort of, some weird accent mark on the top of it. He took the umlaut from his name and then switched it all the way. It came from 1996 and landed on the word ball in that song. <laughs> the umlaut's gone. The hyphen's gone. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's going to lose the space? No. Like it's just gonna be Jays. No, no. I think it's, it's you know, I, I think it's just gonna still be, you know, capital J A Y space Z. Well it's fucking up my iTunes and I don't care for it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's this new artist, hyphenless Jay Z. They all must be one oh. thing. My iTunes is more important yeah. than his name. <laughs> yeah, you gotta keep that catalog exactly. organized. You gotta keep it organized. But exactly. but but think about it though. I mean, even to the point where a song like Picasso Baby, he's he was able to do like, you know, performance art at a, was it like Pace Gallery? In did you New guys York? watch that? No, I, I haven't. I haven't gotten. I haven't had time to watch it yet. And oh, I mean, I, I felt was, like that's the one. Oh, go ahead. You saw it, Julian? Yeah, I watched it. It was it was a bit much. I like it for the fact it's like he's <laughs> got to a level mm-hmm. where, as a rapper, he can debut his video on HBO after Bill Maher and appear on Bill Maher before to say, watch HBO for 10 more minutes after this because then my video comes on. That being said, it felt like you're trying too hard, Jay. Mm. Like you, you, you're really trying too hard. To compare and contrast the way Kanye released the song New Slaves on 66 places in the world projected is actual mm. performance art. To be, to be quite honest, as like, and people might call me a hater. I just think that right now it's just like, oh, you perform for six hours, you got some high society cosigns, but it it felt kind of it felt it felt kind of false for me. Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't watched of, it yet, but that's what it looks like. It felt, it felt kind of false for all my 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 art school friends. We were all like, really, hmm. all right, <laughs> like. You know, this is kind of like the stuff we was like, like, this is the thing. Like, it's like all of a sudden, all these rappers with money now, it's really successful. It's like, oh, man, Basquiat's awesome. Like, I don't know what the fuck Basquiat was in 96. <laughs> That's when I was 16. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, the movie came like, out, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> I didn't even see the movie until like two years ago. I was like, oh, shit, Jeffrey Wright is in a movie about Basquiat. <laughs> Ooh, David oh Bowie's playing Warhol, of course. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> My art teacher was the shit. He used to play that for us in school. Yeah, that was good shit. It's a good film. I recommend it. For fans of Jay-Z's uh, Magna Carta Holy Grail, I recommend the film Basquiat. Yes. Yes, you should. Right? You want to learn about this rapper, this this person and all these rappers by AR we're going to talk about so much. <laughs> you should learn about him. Exactly. He was really dope. I say what I really liked about the videos that Mark Romanek directed it. He's a great director. What do you like better? Do you like this or Yeezus? As far as like a, an album that's going to stand the test of time. Because I missed the Yeezus Summit. I'll put it to you like this. Like I've listened to both albums heavily um, through and through. Mm-hmm. 
like you know like concept wise pr- production wise like Jesus is, is pretty awesome I, I still say like Magna Carta is a stronger lyrical album I do like a lot of production on Magna Carta Holy Grail in the general public side I think Jesus will have like a longer run and people will be talking about that longer than they will Magna Carta but I like Magna Carta more than I do Jesus I think I like Jesus better Jesus. I think this one I think this one's good. It's just not as challenging, and and like they're real similar. I think that Jay just seems less excited. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like to me, to not to get too far off the subject, but it yeah. seems like like Kanye when he made Jesus, it's sort of like 808s and Heartbreak, except instead of sad, uh, furious, right? Yeah. Like that seems like where that album came from. It seems it seems to me like it has more to say. Or maybe he's just talking, like I said before, like maybe he's just talking about something I can identify with. Mm-hmm. And he's a billionaire as well, you know. Like, he, but he's saying something that he can sort of wrap your head around. Except for fisting, I'm not sure how he got involved in that, but that seems a bit too much. <laughs> for yeah. me, you know, it's one of those things where your buddy's just talking. And you're like, oh, I saw this guy hooked up with this girl, and she was super hot. And you're like, yeah, tell me. He's like, then I fisted her, and you're like, oh, for fu- Jesus Christ, <laughs> Kanye. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tad much. Tad much, tad much. Cool, right? Tad, tad yes, much. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> Something that like uh, that I've noticed uh, since uh, the Magna Carta Holy Grail album dropped, though, um, a lot of it had to do with the initial one million albums going through Samsung. And your Samsung phone users, they would get an app that would enable them to get the, um, get the album first. Um, that made, you know, technically that made Jay Platinum, although Billboard didn't count it. Um, for future artists that do that do releases like this, it will count uh, toward uh, toward record sales. Um, although even in Billboard, the album's already platinum, I think. Um, anyway, but there were some people that uh, disagreed uh, with the uh, with the way the album was released first before the general public got it, and how Samsung users got it. Like, um, you know, some some MCs were cool with it, some weren't. Like one MC that wasn't cool with it was LL Cool J. Um, he said that um, he wasn't. He, they didn't like the tactics J used to move units. And he said, LL said, for me as an artist, I still want to be able to touch people individually. It still matters to me that people individually went out and bought my record. Um, then he said. Then he said. Um, he says, it says here, the NCIS star explained how getting a company to buy a million copies of an album to give away to the people is not the same hustle as encouraging people to cop. To which then LL says, although I still think a million sold is a million sold, for me, I like to know that a million people bought my record, not a company uh, bought a million copies of my record. But in today's, with the way music is now, does that even really matter? I think it matters. I don't know. I think it again is is one of these things that only Jay Z could really. It's him dealing with with shit that we can't even identify with. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, like again, you could put out an album and sell it one by one to people, like LL Cool J's talking about. Uh, but you know, you can't call Samsung and say, "Would you like to buy a million? Right. I don't. And when did Oprah say he wouldn't sell a million records? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Julian, do you know? I, what what would Oprah say? What say it again? Oprah said he wouldn't sell sell a million records and then he sold a million records like a million times. That's what he said. Yeah, I don't man, I don't know. And why was oh, yeah. I don't think she ever said that. I don't think so either, man. By the time <laughs> she would be aware enough of Jay Z to comment on him, he would have already sold a million records. 
I think, yeah, I think by the, by the time Oprah like, what, did she buy a reasonable doubt? <laughs> that, would, but that would be funny. Like, I would, that would, if she yeah. was listening, yeah, freaking can I live? Like, yeah, like, yeah. she's not going to do nothing. <laughs> this will never work. Then she, then she bought Memphis Bleak's catalog and was thoroughly upset. Yeah, what do you yeah. think is going on with Memphis Bleak? I'm aware of where Beanie Siegel is in the whole, in the grand scheme of things. But do you think Bleak is hanging out in these, in these circles? Yes. Yes. You do you think he's there? Memphis, I think Memphis Bleak, as said before, he never has to work. Because he's right. written to Jay Z's will. <laughs> yeah, as long as, as, as Jay Z's alive, he's a millionaire. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. I, I, I think he's. I hope, I hope he's still around. I hope he's in the picture. I get. I, I get a little concerned for Bleak every once in a while. Oh, no. Also, because he hasn't had an album come out with a Jay Z song. <laughs> that uh, used to be where the best Jay Z songs would be. Would be like as a track on a Memphis Bleak album, or or on a Beanie Siegel album. People always Christ. forget that people always forget that anything was on that Beanie Siegel album. They was like, Man, yes, how we sell this record? I know, go get Jay. <laughs> I don't know. The thing with Beanie Siegel records is that he was right. so dope, he didn't really need nobody to actually sell his album in the streets. It was just like, Oh, Beanie's coming back out. He just killed Jay to kiss on the track. Oh, damn. Like it was just like Beanie Siegel's <laughs> a knucklehead. Of course I'm gonna support Beanie Siegel. He's real. Yeah. He's on the, he's really in them streets. <laughs> He just went. He went ahead and hit a, a case last week. I saw him up in the court. <laughs> Beanie was, but Beanie Siegel was so hard. I think he scared people. Like I think he even like he was. I think he scared people so much. It was like, yo, people too scared to buy this album. We got to find a way to get people to buy it. Yo, go get that Annie sample and let Jay rap over it. And scared Jay. <laughs> <laughs> He's not trying to be involved in that shit. You know, he's like, oh, all right. He's like, I do this one single, and we'll make this video for it. And it's like, you know, Beanie Siegel's album flies off the shelves. Yeah, for other reasons. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, but like, I mean, I would never say that to Beanie's face because he'd probably kill me. Beanie is scary. Um, that's for us, like, one of the hardest rappers ever. That dude is scary. He was dope. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best one Jay Z ever found. Like as far as as far as people he was he was bringing along back in the day. I, I guess I don't count Kanye. No, I don't count Kanye either because uh, what's call it? Like like Dame is the one that gave him the shot. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, Dame gave him Beans the was shot. Talented. Yeah. You know, Beans was. In, Beans. Oh, God, he was so dope. Yeah. I was telling Sean at, uh, at C2E2, my favorite thing about him was when he would rhyme two words that were the exact same word together. Like, that was yes. that was the Beanie Siegel special where he would he would use, like, a homonym. I wish I had, a, like, an example in my mind right now, but I... Like, yeah, I know he would do I things hear. like blanket and blanket or some shit like that. Like, fuck, like, yeah. that's so simple, but, yo, it sounds right. It's like him and Cameron back in, like, 99. <laughs> yeah. you know, they was the only ones doing that. And people was like, ha ha ha, that's whack. He was like, no, it ain't. That shit was hot back in 99, 2003. That shit was amazing. Like I said, as much as I enjoy this album, I sometimes I think like things are like a little deeper with it. Especially like going back to the Samsung thing, I think it's not just like a million people got the album and it's you know already platinum before release. Business wise, I think it's a little bit more to it. 
yeah, Jay got like a lot of money up front for it, but think about what Samsung gets. What Samsung gets is Samsung is able to, you know, get an app ready to then put on a phone, which then possibly more than likely retains, you know, user information that can be used for Samsung's advantage. So now not only is Jay-Z a businessman, but he's a business and he's helped and he's helped a business acquire more information about customers. And I'm not saying they're going to try to take advantage of that information, but it's kind of like it's kind of like a data aggregator. It's not just an app, it's not just an album full of music, it's also a data aggregator. And you can learn more about your customer base that way. You know what I mean? So I, sometimes I think it's a little bit more heavier than just, yo, he made this album and here you go. From that Samsung perspective, that Samsung thing is real deep with me. You know what I mean? It's just to the point where, you know, and, and if I probably look up, if I probably look up um, Samsung and Magna Carta, there's probably something right now that says that uh, the software company that did the app is under investigation. Hmm. And uh, as a matter of fact, let me look. Hold on. I got, I got a couple of things up. And yep. Back on July 16th, um, the app was under investigation by a privacy group saying that Samsung software was invasive. I want to know how it was invasive, any more invasive than any other app yes. that you get on any other mobile device or any, or let's be quite honest, Samsung isn't doing anything differently than what you do if you have your iPhone. And mm-hmm. in fact, you have genius results. Mm-hmm. What do you think those That's genius exactly results are? exactly why I'm on to? iPhone. <laughs> you know, they, don't, they all do the same thing. They all go back to, they all go back to something. Every time you use Siri, it takes everything you ask and put it in a big data chamber. Yep. Every time you, if you ever leave location services on, it, go, it goes back to home. I don't, you know what? You already gave it up. You signed a freaking agreement. You gave it up. You gave it up when you bought the phone. You signed a contract. You worried about this. You worried about Jay Z. Come on, man. You worried about Samsung? NSA got the shit already. They don't even. <laughs> they, they, they don't even need to ask you. They got FISA courts. Like just, 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 just deal with it. Like, yeah. deal with it right now. Like, you wanted the album, right? Some of these people bought that Samsung phone for the album. You got to be honest. You know some people did it. Yeah. As silly as that may think. Like some people say, <laughs> yo, I'm going to go get this Note. I'm going to get this, 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 yo, I'm going to get this Galaxy Note. I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this Magna Carta. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bootleg that shit, son. Watch, watch. Did they get it early? Is that what the, is that what the app was? How yeah. early was it? Yeah, they yeah, got it. They got they, how many days was it? So was it like seven days before release or four days before release? Nah, they got it, they got it on July 4th. And okay. then like, you know, I was coming out on a Tuesday. So they got like three or four days, like four or five days early. Wait, so they so, got yeah. it as early as it was going to leak anyway? Exactly. This is like the thing. They're one, controlling the leak. They controlled the leak. One person got it early and leaked it. Interesting. <laughs> I do. They just controlled Sean, the leak. I like this theory, but you sound like conspiracy brother. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like, and then what is Samsung gonna do with that? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Samsung, Sung, sing me a song, Sam. <laughs> hey man, I gotta bring these things up. I got I got to bring these things up. Like I said it was on my mind. I didn't say that it that it was actually all true, but it was just a thought. Um as far as it being a, like I said, as far as being like a data aggregator. That's what it is. You know, and it's I mean, and that's smart. I ain't going to lie. It's smart. So um you know, and I'm still like kind of shocked that why would people spend like 35, 50 dollars on or more on a damn phone just to leak an album, just to get an album? 
Well, well, you mean thirty five dollars, man? This is a Samsung phone. You coughing at least a hundred? Oh, that's right. No way, man. That's right. It's not. This isn't a low end Samsung phone. You got to get the good one. I'm sorry. Galaxy. It was a Galaxy Three, Galaxy Four, a Note Two. Okay. Oh, you, you, oh, you coming out of pocket? You mean thirty five dollars, man? What you thinking? One of them, one of them Galaxy Ones or something? <laughs> you don't even sell them no more. Somebody asking for some refurbs. Them choice got got a Snapdragon on it. What you, man, what you talking about, man? I got that. You gotta have Jelly Bean on that motherfucker. <laughs> when, when you get the when you get the refurb, it comes with the blueprint too. Uh, the gift and the curse on it. I don't know if you knew that. Or no, or what? No, you, 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 you get two point one. Because because you got to get that Leah track, that Miss You track. with these uh 50 second long songs that are on this album there's two of them those are like my favorite songs yeah beach is better at verses those are my two favorite songs they remind me of like uh cody chestnut songs or like uh or lauren (laughs) hill unplugged songs where he's just sort of like he's got a sketch he's got a little idea of a song and he's just like all right that's all i really have to say about that i thought i was the only dude that knew about cody chestnut Oh, that that album. Cody Chestnut and the Roots. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But but yeah, these are like little sketches, little Cody Chestnut song sketches where he's just like, "I wish my girl would get ready faster." All right, that's all I yeah. have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, dang, B taking a long time to get ready for this award show. Let's make a song about this real quick. I guess I'm gonna write a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take I'll take that type of interlude over like you know the, the '90s interlude, which was like normally nine times out of ten be a bad skit. I'll take oh a, yeah, dude. you know I'll take I'll take I'll take a you know I'll take a, a, a quick song over a bad skit. 70% of the hip hop records from the 90s had bad skits on them, dude. Bad. Dudes were not funny. Dudes were not funny at all. No. No. This this guy was not funny. Like Jay-Z and his friends were unfunny dudes when it came to skits. Remember uh what was it? But I like pain in the ass. Oh, that no, let's not talk about Streets is watching. That was oh no. Uh, no. The worst skit. Sometimes they pop up on my iTunes like on shuffle. I'm just like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> around hating women and and uh mainly just hating women like it seemed like a lot of dudes not getting laid on that album just rail sitting around not getting pushed. man you know rail still waiting for that album to come out right <laughs> I just, every time there's a justin timberlake song on this album i think about rail's face when that track pops on like you're just like oh, come on <laughs> he had time for that like Justin Timberlake on songs that don't even have his name on them. He'll just pop in and sing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Rel sitting there not doing nothing. Jay was like, Jay was like, yo man, I'm gonna let you sing on this Young Guns track real quick. Go sing on this No Better Love. That's gonna get that's gonna get some airplay. That's gonna get some top ten spins on the R and B hip hip hop charts. I'm gonna give you that. And and you you gonna have an album come out, I promise. And I remember all those years you would like get those magazines and like it'd be like what's dropping, what's coming out, and Rail's name would be there in bold print. And every time I look at my friends, I'm like, that album ain't coming out, y'all. You know that's not happening. <laughs> you know that is not happening. I was like, it's the just Rail happening. album and the Rakim Dr. Dre album oh, in there next to each other. Dude, don't get me started on that one. Don't. Oh, that please. that hurt my heart. That, that song with uh, with Truth Hurts. 
Oh yeah, so like the "This is what it would be like if it happened" song. Holy crap! I must you have know what? I, I think that so. I think that album actually does exist. I think it's on a master somewhere. Is it in a vault? Yeah, it will never like that. Joint has to like leave. Someone has to like steal it and put it on the internet. It's gonna happen because I think it actually happened. It would actually record the tracks. Real having an album? Nah, that shit ain't happen. With Ron Kim <laughs> on Dr. Dre beats? Nah, that shit happens. I bet you they have five different versions of Detox locked away in a computer somewhere. <laughs> it will never like hear. The day that, like Jerry Lewis's The Day the Clown Cried? Oh. Yes, yes, yes. Because I remember one time, like it was like five years ago, DJ Quickly did a video and it was like, yeah, man, I went over to your house. Man, he didn't record that joint like three, four times, but then he just scrapped it because it's not perfect enough. I was like, why did you let us know that, DJ Quick? <laughs> what did you, you Why did you do that? <laughs> there was a day when I knew Dr. Dre was walking out to his studio to throw detox away. It was when uh, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy came out. I just imagined him waking up that morning and just going like, well, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> guess we'll start over. He got me all excited when he did that Super Bowl commercial. And he put the Dr. Pepper on the record, and this new beat started spinning. I was like, we're going to get a Dre album. Here it comes. So you're going to give it away with Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and, and Dr. Pepper's going to have our information. Uh, and it never happened. <laughs> Man, I, already, I was too cynical about it, but like, whatever. He's lying to everyone. He's selling headphones now. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about uh, the Beyonce song? Is it okay to finally just go ahead and say that any song with Beyonce on a Jay-Z album is going to be the worst one? Yeah. Is that just me? Yeah. It's enough of this. Yeah, said they, don't, they don't he work said, together. He said the word obvi. Like, that's some shit you only say when your girl's around. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's in the booth, he said obvi. None of the engineers are like, you sure you want to say obvi? It's kind of it's a little fruity, Jay. He's like, no, nah, obvi. That's, that shit is... That's short for obviously. Oh, we know. Hey, this is the thing I've noticed. Like, if he's on one of her songs, it's dope. Yes. Yes. She gets on one of his songs, it's not a good look. I don't know why. I I don't get it. Because, like, clearly when it's her song, she's controlling every facet of it. Right. And somehow I guess she knows, okay, okay, Jay, you're going to get on right here. Just enough. Go. That's it. It's over. Time to take over. Bye, honey. Kiss him on the cheeks and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like King B got to do a work. But when she's on one of his songs, it's just like, you and didn't think this out well enough. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this song about? Like, who? It, it sound, this song sounds like an alternate universe version of their relationship where Jay-Z was still a, like a dickhead when they started going out. You know, like her family's like, oh, I don't know. I don't think he'll ever amount to anything. Like they say in the song, he's not going to amount to anything. In, in, this, in, the song yeah, like, in the song you're referring to is part two on the run, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. Like, come on. Like, you know what? Don't rap about this. Don't rap about <laughs> this magical world where you guys are on the run and your body and clock. Fuck Bonnie and Clyde. You guys are like the goddamn Kennedys. Rap about some shit like that. I want to hear about yep. yachts, Belize, can, freaking South Africa, uh, exactly. skiing. Mm-hmm. I want to hear about you guys chilling with a freaking dude who owns Virgin on his island and how like <laughs> uh, what's it called from Titanic saved his mama. Like rap <laughs> about that shit. Rap about eating the finest like truffles and shit or something like rap about your life rap about 
Yeah, just rap about oh Blue Ivy. She accidentally threw up on the Warhol yesterday. You know, <laughs> some shit like that. Rap about you, you y'all, y'all ain't pushing drugs. Like she, she, she never did dirt shit. Like she was in pageants and <laughs> talent shows and on my television at sixteen. Like <laughs> no, she wasn't on the run. Like she, yeah. she's like Jesse Spano and Kelly Kapowski and Lisa Turtle all in one body, and that's what she is. You don't. I don't want to hear no guns, no running, body clap. No, let that go. That's the they one place where they don't keep it real. They don't keep it real at all when she shows up. <laughs> and oddly, yeah. they, I was so thankful that they kept their mouth shut the whole time they were going out. They got married. They didn't talk to the press. Like, I found that refreshing. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't got to hear about it. And then all of a sudden, they start singing songs about nonsense. Like, I don't need to know an alternate fake version of you guys hooking up. I don't need to know how you got together at all. I assume you met at some uh, record party. And uh, then you're both very famous and you're I'm charming people. You know, very talented and driven, and you get together. That's fine. Either write a song about that. I don't want to know any more about the fake, uh, like behind the scenes nonsense life of these two. You know, get like her parents are like, I don't know about this one. Are you crazy? <laughs> it this 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 recurring theme, whether it be the, whether you call this song like um, part two of Open Letter or or part two of O uh, Three Bonnie and Clyde. You know, the the constant. The constant trying to put their their relationship as like a like criminal celebration, you know, yeah. you know you, th- that that type of thing. It's like I get what you're trying to do, but it never comes off right. It, you know, it just doesn't. You know, it really the girl, doesn't. The girl from the album cover or from the single album art of Bow Down was never on the run ever with anyone ever. That's what I'm talking about. She has the trophies in the dress. <laughs> like, and, and you know what? People hate on that song. And I'm like, no, that that song is real as shit. She's talking about how all these other R&B chicks be taking shots at her on Twitter. Her yeah. fan base smack them down. And how she grew up in Houston, Texas. That's her life. That's real as shit. This yeah. on the run shit is like, like, no, guys. If you want to rap about how you got together, let's keep it real. Jay-Z, you were like 32. You were tired of sleeping with women and the crazy fame and the groupies. And you were telling your friends, man, I'm getting kind of tired of this. I think I should settle down. Somebody's like, yo, yo, Beyonce, she's real cute. She's like the finest chick in the game right now. You should holler at that. Word. Somebody set that up. Two-way pager. Because this is before texting. Oh, shit. Two-way page. Two-way page. You know, it's like, come on. And then y'all got together. You started dating. You fell in love. She ain't want to get married for a while because she's young and you're old and, and she was on her career. Just keep it 100. Just keep it Just keep it a buck with me, man. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got, I got just like a few more things to say about this album. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Speak me. on it. Speak on it. I don't know. There's no, there's no time limit on this, right? No, no, no. There's no time limit. You're, you're good. You're good. Where is the first place that ha 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 appeared? Like, where does that come from? Because it feels like it's just always existed. That comes from Biggie, the, Small. Biggie Smalls. Yeah. Um, what's beef? Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Check out this bazaar. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's literally rocking to Biggie right there. Yeah. And I was like, ha ha ha. Good one again. <laughs> yes. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it might be Biggie's most quoted lyric. Because it pops up, it pops up all over the place. Oh yeah, it's yeah. It, it, a lot of people bite off of that. Um, you know, something like you know, the, the, this album does have like a, a few hiccups and has a few hiccups in some spots. I know, like a lot of people, or I know, like a lot of the older set 
were upset with the way he talked about dealing with having wealth and not just giving it away. And, oh, okay. uh, and like, um, and like how, like, you know, cause Harry Belafonte, the legendary Harry, 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 Harry Belafonte, like, you know, disagrees with, you know, the Jay-Z's, the Beyonce's, you know, the new black wealth. He says that like a lot of the new black wealth doesn't contribute anything to the community or anything like that. And um, to which Jay did a song, I think it was like the last track on the album. It's called Nickels, Nickels, and, and, Dimes. Nickels and Dimes. And, um, you know, he, you know, he was just like, listen, he was just like, you know, before, you know, he basically said, respect these youngins, boy, it's my time now, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and like, and I know some people caught, caught, you know, just didn't like the fact that he called like, you know, you know, Harry Belafonte a boy. But like I looked at it like just from a hip hop sense, it's just like, yo, boy, look, check. And he's like, look, you, you can't check me like right. that. But you know, some people took that personally because it's like, look, Mr. Harry Belafonte's a grown ass man, so you know, you need to be more respectful. And this is where this generational gap comes in, because like, you know, because Jay says in that verse, he's like, sometimes I feel survivor's guilt. I gave some I gave some money to this guy. He got high as hell. Now I'm part of the problem, far as I could tell. I you know, did I do it for him or do it for myself? Can't lie to myself. You know, and it's it's you know it, it it's it's really weird. You know, and he comes back in later says no guilt in giving a giving clear, <clears throat> no guilt in giving clear a nigga conscious out. No guilt receiving everything within reason. You know, can't see it taking food out of my little monster's mouth. You know, it's I like I said I get it. You know, I get it, but it's just like the whole the whole thing about. And it's something like I said. It's just the way he addressed you know Harry Belafonte. That kind of bugged me too. It's like, yo, man, you know, you're a tight lyricist. You could do this another way and still be kind of you know still be respectful and say, low, this is my stand on it. I see where you're coming from, but it's a different era. So you know, kind of respect mine. And I just I think he could have did better with that. And the other one is just basically I try to like it, but that fuck with me, you know, I got it. Oh, I love that song. What? I like I, I like Jay's lyrics. I don't like Ross's. Like I don't, I don't know that I've ever liked Rick Ross. I love him on this song. Uh, the song it's untouchable. Like that's why I haven't talked about it because I've mainly just been complaining and saying like, you know what's weird on this album? Like nothing on that fucking song is weird. You know, you know what? If I recite the lyrics to Rick Ross's part, everybody would hate your show because <laughs> I would I would be using the word that some people don't like. I was like, yes, I'm a tourist. Like what? Oh goddamn! I'm getting hyped thinking about it. God. Damn, Rick Ross, God damn! It makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. That song, like I, I put the, I put the song on while I take a shower, mm-hmm. and I would just lay there in bed forever trying to wake up. <laughs> but I know, like, if I get up, I could probably listen to uh, "Fuck with Me." You know, I got it. <laughs> I'll take a shower. I would imagine I could probably get that going. I li- I listen to that, and I listen to Heaven when I take a shower. And on Heaven, when Jay Z's voice cracks for whatever reason, like he might have just been tired that day. But it seems like it just seems like he had something to say mm-hmm. when he said only ju- God could judge us, motherfuckers, and like his voice cracks like that chick from the Cranberries. <laughs> like, that is a uh, powerful for me. Yeah, no, man, I, God, come I, on, man. I, I, he says I don't bop. I do the money dance. <laughs> My bitch whip costs a hundred grand. Red bird, you see me slide, sexy bitch. I hope she bought it. Sexy bitch, I know she thought it. Fuck with me, you know I got it. God damn, I say that shit when I go to work in the morning. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the kind of song that I just like. I wish that was what people thought of when they saw me. <laughs> you know, like they see me, they're like, "Look at this guy, he's got it. Here he is, 
<laughs> Here comes Tony Fleece. He's got it. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Everyone <laughs> knows that he's got it. <laughs> is magic, baby. Is that Tony Fleece? Oh shit! <laughs> I like I like that. I also like that he discovered Adrian Young and Frank Ocean about the same time that I did. Okay. Like you you guys are up on Adrian Young, right? A little yeah. bit. Oh my God, he's incredible! He did the he did the score for uh, for Black Dynamite. Okay, but he's done a couple of albums since then. He did one called uh, Something About April, which is like a throwback. It's sort of like what Meyer Hawthorne does, but better. Okay, it's fucking rad. And then he just did one. He just did an album with Ghostface, where it's it's like Ghostface's regular sort of '60s throwback production, except it's all original. Adrian Young shit. It's great. And he's on half the, like, he's on Picasso, baby. He's the beat from, uh, he's, he might be on the last song. Oh, he's, he's definitely on Heaven. Okay. So he's, he's badass, Adrian Young. And then Frank Ocean, like everybody, like everybody's on to him. But when, like, when he popped up on Watch the Throne, I was like, oh shit, it's like my friend, you know, like somebody got my, discovered my friend. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, I, I found out about Frank Ocean when uh, when I was having a conversation with some with some college some college college age people, and they were telling me about our future, and it was like, yeah, oh, you ain't up all our future. I was like, no, well, explain to me why. And they and they did, and then I got like all their music, and I was like, oh, Nostalgia Ultra. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. this is good. This is really, really good. Oh, nostalgia ultra screwed and chopped. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yo. You know what? You know what, Sean? Yeah. I'm different about the whole thing with Harry Balafonte. But yeah. see, I'm an ageist. I have a problem with older people. Really? Current current older people, especially I guess from the later silent generation onto the baby boomers, don't know how to go sit down and retire. Mm. Much like the, the greatest generation did, they was like, "Yo, we destroyed evil, built the country. We're gonna go to Florida and chill." These guys always like to make a point, like they're somehow better. There's a point if I'm a 42, three year old man. No, I ain't really gotta hold you respect. I'm a middle aged man. You need to sit down. Like you had your time. They're making yeah. this because because they are better. Like, no, nah, but, like, but it's, it's like a person. Like I don't think you have people. to tell what you spend on 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 helping people. Like I think that's very egotistical. Like if I give a million dollars or something, I'm not gonna blurt out that I gave a million dollars or something. That's ego. I think no. From he should do that on five. From Jay Z's reaction and the way he talks about every other thing he spends money on, I would guess that he's not charitable. Like he'll tell you every other way that he spent money. I don't and think we know like, oh, well, that's all the ways he spends his money. I don't think he's that open. I think there's an entertainment value of Jay-Z, and then there's Sean Carter. Like, not everybody knows that he helps. He's now helped funding BBC clothing label Pharrell. Nobody knows <laughs> that he got Rockefeller back. Like, nobody knows, like, all the different things that they all do. I don't know. I don't care. But I do think that Harry Belafonte should have been like, yo, I would have called Jay-Z up and talked to him. And not do that shit man on television. Man. Sure. I'm not gonna do that shit on TV. Come on, man. I wow. think you trying to be relevant right now. Go sit down. Jay Z's response was that that his presence is a president kiss his ass, general. Like basically, like that's what he said. He said, you know, like me, 
just uh, just being around is inspiring to young people. You know, like that's not a fucking charity. If like, even if he if he chose one thing and and didn't even give him money, if he just went and talked about it, like that could help people. And that's what Harry Belafonte is saying. Is he saying like, look, we had responsibility in my day, and it's you know eventually you have to stop and say like, what am I, you know, what am I contributing? How am I making a difference? I that's, get what I mean, Harry Belafonte is saying. But again, I have an issue with the entire generation of people. So, yeah. <laughs> it's annoying, like but I, I got to say, like, I think he's got a point. Like, I love Jay-Z. Um, and I'm sure that, that like, those two are, are uh, a charitable pair of people. But, but that's all I'm saying is he could talk about it. You know, like, it's not like he's, he's shy about saying what he spends money on. I give you that. Yeah, he's pretty been open about certain things. I just think that was something he could have done. He could have called him up. He didn't have to make that point on television first. Right. If you're going to do that, I don't really. No, I, I'm like I'm like this with dudes on the street. Like if I see an old dude just randomly getting on a young person for no reason, like right. you know better, go away. Yeah. No, that's fair. But I will say though, but like the thing is that the way Harry Harry Belafonte has always worked. When he's on TV, he always has called out somebody, whether it be Jay, whether it be with his differences with George W. Bush back in the day. He always calls people out in public. That's always been his way. So like when he did, I was like, I ain't surprised because he's done it with a ton of other people, no matter what race, creed, position or, you know, or clout they got. So that didn't really surprise me. That dude, he's the type he's gonna say something. You know, he's always been that way. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, yeah, would it be cool if like you know he just went to the side and was just like, yo, let me call, let me call up Mr. Carter and let's just have a let's just have a talk, because there will always be generational differences. You know, please believe there will always be this generational gap. But I always will say that one side can always learn something from the other side and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? There's there's knowledge to be attained everywhere. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, sometimes we do pass up on it because sometimes one side is too, you know, one side is louder than the other. But like, I'm sure there's some knowledge in between that both of them cats could definitely use. But sometimes it's just the way we come at people. It changes the whole perspective on things. And then that ability to communicate the differences to work shit out gets lost. Right. Like I said, like I do like this album. It's a mixed bag for me, but I, yeah. you know, I, I really like it because, like, seriously, like I said, man, his whole entire catalog is just like a, just a study because nothing is ever the same. You go back to that period of time where it was just like, yo, I'm using Just Blaze and the Neptunes. Oh, this album, I'm using Timbaland on the heavy, you know, and then Timbaland yeah. and, and, and Jay got, you know, was on the outs for a while. You know, and then they then they brought and then they came back together and made more music. But he, he would just go through all these different phases. You know, although I was surprised that there was no Just Blaze on this album. Yeah, that was strange. There was a rumor that that um, Just Blaze did do a song for the album that probably would have been like a Song Cry Part Two. It wasn't been it wasn't going to be called Song Cry Part Two, but it would have been in that vein. I can't remember the title of it though. And then there was also the. Oh, what was it called? What was it called? It was a something part three that may have been part of the album, but like that song was never completed and they leaked it. They didn't leak it. They just put it out there. It was like an incomplete track. Um, Dead Presidents. Dead Presidents 3. DP3. 
and um, it got put out on the internet. Like they released it, but it was incomplete. In, in like, uh, I can't remember. I want, was it just plays Young Guru? I can't remember who, but it was just like, yo, we never completed it. This is all there is. It's not going to be on the album. We're not going to go back and finish it. Go listen to it. There you go. And you know, and it was kind of cool. I dug it. You know, I'm taking notes. Yeah, um, Dead Presidents Three DP Three. It's out there somewhere. Like I said, it's incomplete, but it was kind of cool. I think like the vinyl version has one track has like an additional track that like the CD does not have. I'm trying to find. I'm trying to look into that and see you know what that's all about. Like I said, I like you know I like the album because like a piece of me because you know I'm a little bit old. I'm like oh, a little bit just a couple years older than the both of y'all. But it's like one of these things where to me it's like you know what man, let's do better for ourselves. Let's get this money so we can go sit on the beach and chill. You yeah, know? He definitely, he definitely is evolving and and changing as he gets older. Like it's not, it's absolutely not the same person from Reasonable Doubt. Mm-hmm. It's not the same person from you know from American Gangster. Even yeah. like this dude is different now than you know, and it's 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 something because careers don't usually go on this long that you don't get a chance to see. I mean, you could if you went and paid attention. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, I'm sure you could look at a Nas album and see the same thing. Just yes. fucking apparently nobody's paying attention. <laughs> well, but see, but here's, but here's the other thing, though. It's it's one of those things where unlike Nas, where like Nas didn't always chart, you know, w- with certain albums. Like, you know, like he, you know, he may not have a single that hit that like hit radio. Like right. every J album has had songs that hit the radio, even when radio is at its worst. Jay always had a song that hit the radio after a certain period of time. Like, let's say starting with like "In My Lifetime" volume volume uh, two, volume one, "Sunshine." Sunshine, that's right. I always forget about. Uh, yes, you're right. Sunshine. Like starting right there, but yeah, like, ain't no, he had ain't no, you know. Also, yeah, yeah, ain't, ain't no, yeah, unreasonable doubt. But ain't like, no, sunshine. Mm-hmm. Every uh, hard knock life. Hard knock life. Uh, money, money ain't a thing. Yeah. Um, which is like which we've talked about on the show a number of times. You'll never see that Jay again. Yellow canary suit throwing dollar bills at the screen <laughs> with with background with background dancers and, and Jermaine Dupree, you know, just flossing. You'll never see that again. Do you think no. that's what he was talking about, the Fox's box? Do you think he was talking about not having fucked Foxy Brown? <laughs> I don't think he did. That would be because she was sixteen when they was that's, rhyming, what? and yeah. he was twenty six. Like, yo, I don't think he was that grimy. He never put his cock in the fox's box. I don't think so, man. I think I don't think he was that grimy. Mm-hmm. I think it's he not, has a, a level of morality. She was. She looked wrong. fucking. She looked insane though. Back in the ill now now days. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying she went, but when I finally found out she was like the same age I was, I was like, what the. F- the f- I, I, yeah, I had no idea. Was, but yeah, I don't. I think they they knew she was a kid. I don't yeah. think. Man, Jay Z had grown women. Man, he had to go up no teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a drug dealer. He had drug dealer chicks around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so I went and saw the concert. I saw the Legends of the Summer tour. Me and my girlfriend oh, went. Did. Was it dope? Yeah, it was pretty out of control. I had the most fun. My girlfriend, who does not give a shit about hip hop music, had no fun. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't like Justin Timberlake. She, she ain't she, like Super Tide. Like what's wrong? What twenty twenty experience? She wasn't getting involved. Like it was. She was. She was there for me and being supportive as she could. But it was a like everybody around us was just smiling and having a great time, and I'm smiling and having a great time. And she was just like, "When is this gonna be over? What I don't even know these songs." Uh, but the show was out of control. Poop. Spaceship poop. Spaceship. Cool. She likes it. Yeah, she, that's the cut. She, she got down to that one from time to time. 
but no, no, we had a good time. Like I had a fucking great time. And it's, have you heard about it? Oh, the oh, t- yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the show was amazing. Like I didn't know anything about it going in except that I like both these guys, but that they were just like on each other's tracks the whole time was was great like you'll never see that i'm sure it'll be on hbo but otherwise you'll never see that i hope so because all that amount of people freaks me out so i never go to big concerts i don't go to concerts it, at all uh, it was like it was like comic-con but with jay-z at it like it was fucking packed and it was at the rose bowl uh he did not pull up in a lolo i think he may have showed respect to the cholos that's what i thought was weird like i was at the concert and i was like he talks about this concert on the album it didn't even happen yet. Like he put the album out, <laughs> knowing that he was going to come to this concert at yeah. the Rose Bowl, yeah. Legends of the Summer Tour. Because That's they announced crazy. it, Matt he's like South Park. It. Like he, <laughs> he is right on top of shit. Like, like when did Harry Belafonte happen? Like two weeks before the album came out? Yeah, it seems like it, don't it? it like he yeah, kind of, sort of, like a little bit before and a little bit after. Like it was crazy. Yeah, he just was like, I got to say something about this right now. He can just, like, he's very topical. He's like the but, Daily Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these I think with the Legends of Summer tour, they announced that when uh when JT album dropping in the winter, like it was like yo suit tie came. I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna do a tour. Like what the huh? True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he was uh, like, I'm gonna have an album. I was like, oh, you guys are hitting us with the heavy the double hits. Like oh, yeah. you yeah. guys are that smart. So good. And it, it started out with with uh, with Magna Carta. And just, like no opening act, there was a DJ for a while, but no opening act. Like it just goes quiet for a second, and then like both those dudes are on stage, and they're on stage for like two and a half, three hours. That's crazy. Yeah, it was great. That is insane. You know, like it's like you know, but see, but that's the whole thing. When Jay tours, or he does a tour, especially over the last few years, he'll just you know he'll get somebody that's on his caliber, and like they'll do they'll do some dates. Like people forget about. That that short tour that him and Eminem had, they were doing stadiums. Oh yeah, yeah. they went on like David Letterman on CBS and took the whole show. Okay, <laughs> they took the whole show. You know, and M would come out for a minute and then like you know disappear. And Jay was like, "Well, you know, Eminem's notorious non-tour." And you know, it was just talking. And then they performed "Renegade" at the end of the show on the roof, on the roof, no less. Oh my God. And I was like, this is amazing. They're like, yeah, they're going on tour. And like they did like stadiums in Detroit. They did it at Comerica, Comerica Park and just like all all the big venues. They didn't do a lot. They didn't. I think they only hit up like, was it like eight spots or something like that? And I was just like, whoa, OK, that's major. You get in, you get out. Or like when because um, you know how like Mary, Mary J. Blige is a resurgence like every few years. People just like, you know, people love her. And like and it's like more and more, more people, more people just like find out that just found out that she existed. And I'm like, yo, she's been singing since 92. And when it was singing background for Father MC before that, what do you mm-hmm. mean you don't know about Mary J? But like more and more people discover her. And then like when she hit, I forget what album, like Jay was like, yo, I got an album coming out. Let's tour together. And then they did that song called Welcome, which you can't find anywhere because it was never released. And it was the fucking bomb. And he's like, yeah, we're going to tour together. I was like, wow. God damn. You know. Did you know there's a little Mary J. Blige, Blige trivia. Did you know that uh the real love beat was by that dude from the Fat Boys with the coonskin cap? Really? Like the light skinned dude from the Fat Boys. Or about, he may oh, have been Puerto Rican. You're talking about Prince Marky D? Yes. That it has uh some elements of uh oh what's top billing in it. 
Yeah. Um, and like and some other stuff. But I know Prince Marky D was like on a production tip for that song. Produced it. Really? I'm, I'm pretty sure. How cool is that? been on my mind for a while i was listening to serious radio on the way to work i was listening to the heat which plays you know the current uh hot songs in r&b and sometimes hip-hop um they say the songs are hot some are some are not um (laughs) but one of the songs that got played was a duet between chris brown and Aaliyah. now as we all know, if you're a fan of Aaliyah and you know her music, you know she died a, a while ago. Okay? Now, there was also the thing where uh, Drake said he wanted to create a new Aaliyah album. And a few months before, many months before, made a song called uh, Said Enough or Enough Said um, with Aaliyah. And Drake was on it. And it was really weird because it felt that like Drake like just like cut and paste like Leah lyrics from leftover reels to make a song. And it was just weird. And it just didn't feel regular. And it just felt off. But I was like, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. I appreciate it. It's nice, but you know, it's not for me. But the thing that really hit me was just with this Chris Brown Aaliyah duet. I think it's called uh They Don't 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 Think They Know. My problem is is this. And this has been something that's been going on in music for like a long time, especially in R and B and hip hop. Tell them why you mad, son. The 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 the, the, post, the, the posthumous cosine. All right. In real life, if Aaliyah was still alive right now, would Aaliyah do a track with Chris Brown? Okay. Yes. You think so? I am shocked by how many people are okay with Chris Brown. Like they, it seems like the entertainment industry has just like all gotten together and decided like you know what these things happen, moving on. And Rihanna, you know, first amongst them. It's just weird to me. It it just it, it it's weird though. It just you know I I just I can't see it. But you're right. Now the the business is the business is strange because like, I agree that it's I agree that it's weird, and I also uh, agree that I think it's fucked up yeah. when they say featuring Aaliyah. Yeah. Like it's not featuring Aaliyah. She didn't show up at the studio and like and then like jam and then write the song with you. Like she several years ago wrote this song, then died, mm-hmm. and now here we are. Right. Right. Or better yet, you know, like say for instance, like with records like okay, like a perfect example, Keisha Cole. Keisha Cole a few years ago cut a song and it had Tupac on it. And it's like, you know, and I and yeah, and I understand that Keisha's Keisha Cole is from the Bay. Tupac represented there too. Sure. But it's one of those things is is that, you know, do we know, you know, what we know at that said time when that song was being recorded, if Pac was still alive, would they still do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit different than like, say, for instance, like when John B and Tupac made Are You Still Down, Tupac was still alive when they recorded that song. Oh, John B, wherefore art thou? I love me some John B. That's <laughs> my that dude. That's my you dude. Know, you know what I think with John B is? You know how you read in comics or something and they take like a like the Green Lantern core and they stick like an entity into the battery? I think Drake <laughs> Drake and 40 should be whatever. They they stole John B and stuck him into the to, into 
OVO battery of, of power and they <laughs> suck out all his all his blue eyed soul into the rap music mm-hmm. and they have the job B core and that's the OVO label. That's well, I definitely know that Drake uh, somehow inherited his weird beard. <laughs> definitely got that five o'clock shadow fucking Miami Vice shit going on. You know, it, it's like it just it just not, you know it's not that like it bothers me that much, but it just really just makes me think. Because what happened was I was talking to my my friend Chuck about this. Would these people really co-sign on doing these records together? You know, because like you remember Puff got like a you know Puffy got like a lot of a lot of beef for the, the duets. Um, not no, not the duets, but the Life After Death album. He got a lot. He caught a lot of flack for that. He you know the one like you know um, why. Not life after death. Are you talking about um, the, the 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 last one? Not though? no. I'm not talking about the last one, the Biggie duets. I'm talking about the one after. Not Biggie duets. I mean the one with Dead Wrong on it with Eminem. Yeah, that, that album. He born again. He, yeah, he yeah, born again. Born, born again. again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Born again. I always get these damn titles mixed up. It's all good. Um, all right. They're all about death. Um, but born again. He caught a lot of flack for born again. Would Biggie actually collaborated with the majority of these artists that are on this album? Redman, Method Man. Yeah. Juvenile. Maybe, <laughs> possibly at the time because Juvenile was still kind of hot. But you know the rest, you know, but the rest of you know Cash Money at that time, uh, I don't know. I've, I've talked enough about it. I just just curious to see what what y'all thought about that. Uh, by the way, how about uh, Jay Z using Juvenile lyrics on Magna Carta? That's the <laughs> that's the most relevant that guy's going to be again for like for the rest of his career. Mm. Like he just he popped into the consciousness again. For a hot second, and everyone's like, "Oh, remember Juvenile?" All right, moving on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. Like, I I think I think the problem with like what's upsetting you is is you're looking at it through the eyes of like an anthropologist unearths these songs, you know, a hundred years from now, and goes like, "Oh, it says here that uh, that Aaliyah and Chris Brown recorded together uh, from time to time." You know, like it's. Nobody thinks that these, you know, that these singers, you know, there's no way they could approve of these songs. Right, 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 right. right. So I don't think, I think, you know, if you're worried about their memory and shit like that, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. I just think the way it's presented is strange. That's the, see, that's, that's my problem. The way it's presented, that, that's what's really my beef. Otis, Otis featuring Otis Redding is not actually featuring Otis Redding. That's a sample. Mm-hmm. It's a common trope in hip hop music where they will take a song and then repurpose it. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that fucking Otis Redding sings on that song. Right, right. You're not fooling me. <laughs> what you got to say on it, Julian? Man, well, a long time ago, about 10 years ago, when The Wire was still being shown on television, there was a big thing to do where a lot of rappers were deciding to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Tupac is back. I'm, you know, I got this Tupac spirit. I was like, y'all was writing down rap commandments, right? I still got it in a sketchbook somewhere. And my first commandment was, thou shalt not use Tupac's name in vain. <laughs> and now you could just say it with a lot of people. Like, the whole Aaliyah thing bothered me. And I remember hearing, like, interviews with Missy Timberland, like... Like, it bothered them because, like, yo, they actually knew her. And those songs were probably recorded with them in the studio. Like, you can't say you're going to make an Aaliyah album. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, like, no. Like, like R. Kelly couldn't even get away with that shit. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
<laughs> like, come R. on. R. Kelly like, got away with enough in that department, I think. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. And, like, this whole Chris Brown thing with Aaliyah is killing me because it almost seems like not. It seems like he's doing that with his ongoing beef with Drake over right. Rihanna. Like, really, son? You, you taking it to this level? You desecrating this? I can't put like this. I'm still that bummed out about Aaliyah. I don't listen to her music because mm. I get sad. You know what I like to listen to when I think about Aaliyah is that track from uh, from the Timbaland album. Uh, that, was, that was posthumous. It was like the first posthumous Aaliyah song. The was it called? I'm Music? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know yeah. that one? Yeah. That song is great. That thing is all right, man. It's sort of like uh, like the the proto all of the lights, where like it's got like a thousand people on it, and it all yeah. sounds like one voice. Hmm. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, that joint was tight. I, I still, you know, I ain't gonna lie. I still listen to um the joint with the crickets in the beat. Like no, oh, uh, uh, four, oh okay, one in a million. Are you that somebody? Nah, one in literally one in a million because oh, oh, oh. the freaking crickets, the freaking yeah. crickets. It's just like Timberland. Oh my god, like ninety six Timberland is just like I don't. Oh, it's so amazing. The, the production, it was, the ideas were so different. It was just so, oh, but like, you, like, like every time, like, when I hear, like, like, why are you sampling Biggie on this? Like, unless you, like, Puffy or, like, Little Kim or, or, or Jay Z, I don't want to hear you sample Biggie Smalls. Like, it was kind of, do a little side note. I watched a video this week about Aesop Rocky and Aesop Bob talking to Funk Flex about the, the Kendrick verse and there was a point where they're talking about it and, and you know Kendrick kind of uses a line that's like the Biggie joint when Jay-Z said you know who's the highest MC Jay-Z, Biggie and Nas he was like Kendrick, Jay-Z and Nas and, and Funk Flex is like see like right there it got me feeling a certain type of way like it's just like hmm. like yo you just you don't you, yo, you don't touch that. Like, it's like you, you back away. Like, you ain't you ain't earn that. Like, you, you ain't from that era. You can't. You That's can't interesting. Touch it. Mm-hmm. That that is interesting to me. In in a because the way I come at hip hop is from like it's a from the beginning it's been an amalgam of many different things, right? Like these guys, like who gets to decide when we put something on the shelf and don't touch it anymore? You know, I like know, these right? guys came along, they got in the crates, they started picking out beats, you know, like they started rhyming over tracks that they didn't know these guys, you know, like, so, so it's interesting that now we're sort of, it's like the snake eating its own tail where it's like, <laughs> whoa, 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 it's cool to sample this sort of thing. That's old people. But this, like, that's, you know, if you didn't know Biggie, you shouldn't be talking about Biggie. Like, what's this generation of kids supposed to do? You know, like, there's no way fucking Drake or, uh, or Kendrick was gonna know Biggie because they were like nine. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, Although, ac- according to the movie, if they would have ran into him, he would have said something super deep to them, because according to that movie, like that's all Biggie did. Like at twenty-four years old, he just went around saying deep shit to everybody. Like they're like, "What do you think about this, Big?" And he's like, "You know what? I was thinking about that the other day. Were you? I don't think so. I don't think you were thinking about shit. You're thinking about how to rhyme excellently and who you were fucking." And pop of bottles. Yep. Yeah. Pop of bottles. But yeah, I, I feel you on that. But I guess that's something that hip hop has to deal with since you just turned 40. Like, yeah. Right. It's kind of like a bit like prices. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, come on. Like, now I'm saying stuff to people that I never thought I'd say. Like, oh, you, you don't know nothing about that rap. You don't even. <laughs> are you, 
Are you, are you, what you know about rap? How you gonna say something is a good verse? You don't, what do you know about good verses? Why are right. you wearing my Jordans? Oh, those the remakes? All of a sudden, you're KRS One in every documentary ever. <laughs> see, see, you, you want to see? Speaking of KRS One, he cut an album a few years ago called Hip Hop Lives with Marley Marl. What? Yes, and you know what? I, and because like I remember, all right. No, it's, it's a good album. It, it it was a good album. I remember I got, it was like I, it was like one of the last albums I got from like BMG before BMG closed down. And I started listening to it. And I was like, man, this is really really good. And I was just like, I was just like, let's just hope that. And before I could finish that sentence, there's a song that come on comes on and says, "I was there." Oh. And and it talks about like all these classic moments in hip hop. And KRS says, I was there. And, you know, this and this happened. I was there. And I was just, and and literally it came on right before I could finish the following sentence. I hope KRS does not have a track where he basically says, you know, he's better than everybody because he's lived hip hop more than every than anybody. Boom, there it was. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. You, you know, that's like the only track I, ha- I have a problem with. Besides that, it's a solid album. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I have you, written it down. You know, but no, but you know, KRS has had beef with many people over the decades. He had beef with Run DMC over Walk This Way. Uh, he had that beef with Nelly. I've lost track how how much beef <laughs> KRS has had with people over over the years. Um, you know, some some people call him an MC Master of Contradiction. He would diss Puffy in the track, but then he get Puffy on that Step in the World remix. You know, it just it's. That's just KRS, man. That's just how he is, and and, and that's never gonna change, ever, ever. That's how you, that's how I know it's like Hip Hop Week on VH1 when I see KRS One like inside a record store, and he goes like, "Now hip hop, like that's he's just, he's about to say something, like he's gonna tell me about hip hop again." Well, people don't understand. It was beats, and you're just like, "Ah, oh, for God's sakes, I get it." <laughs> but he's like, he's like th- that dude at a comic book store that wants to tell you about like, you're like, oh, I dig FF. And they're like, listen, Jack Kirby, that's Fantastic Four. That was what that was. <laughs> hey, man, e- every every single form of, of art has that dude. And oh, for sure. us, it's KRS-One. But hey, he's least, always thinking. Yeah. I'm surprised. I wonder if he weighed in on the Harry Belafonte controversy. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, it, seriously, it, it wouldn't. But if he um, did, could we have that be the end of this episode? As you find that and just, just tag that to the end of this, yeah, just like psh, just just the yeah, attack, <laughs> just like grab it from YouTube and throw it at the end of the episode. <laughs> Before we go, we need to let the people know where they can find you on the internet. So, Tony, if you like, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me at Tony Fleece on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Fleece is spelled F L E E C S. Uh, FleeceDesign.com, TonyFleece.com. That's all the same place. GarageArtStudios.net. Uh, I am. I'm, I make my ass very available. So you can find me online. I, I probably will not have anything to say for at least the next month or so because I'm on crazy deadline. So, but please look me up. Uh, DeviantArt, find me on DeviantArt, and I'm on there too. Cool. And Julian, uh, as always, can you let the people know where they can find you? 
But yeah, you know, you just go by my name, Julian, you know, Lytle, L-Y-T-L-E. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Path. I'm on MySpace. I'm on Google Plus. Damn. Um, I'm on. I'm on a whole bunch of stuff. I don't even remember them. I'm on Tumblr. Follow follow along boxes on twenty two. They might make a comeback. Um, I'm on DeviantArt. It, it, you know, I got that Google Glass. So you want to find <laughs> out it's a p- it's a pictures and stuff. My random. You know, altercations and night altercations, but experiences with walking around with a computer on your face in public. You watch <laughs> DC, you know what I'm saying? You should follow me. You'll see what's happening. You know what I'm saying? One of the 8,000 8, people got Google Glass people. Oh, I heard about this. I heard about that on 11 o'clock. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I'm going to post up early today. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to check this out too, then. I'm making yeah, another I'm note. Get a pizza. That's right. I was all oh, you have on YouTube too. Tags and you know? retweets. <laughs> yes, hundred forty characters on these streets. <laughs> uh, sure. All right, everybody. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, y'all. I truly appreciate it, and uh, we shall do this again. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Always a good time. And that concludes this week's Black Box. The Black Box is a member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at HHWLOD.com, where you can download previous episodes of this podcast, as well as Donnie Salvo's Tales from the Attic and John Carroll's The Carroll Chronicles. This podcast is also available on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment. You can also reach the podcast at blackboxpodcast1 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next episode, dream big, hustle hard, and never stop.